You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There's, there's, that's it. One more. Get around. They saw your team. Put up zero effort. Wake up! Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? Play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouse. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. You're March. 16th, yes, you're listening to the Sports Loudmouth. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows as they are listed on the network profile. You can check out all the different stories we have posted every single week. And you can tune into all our shows, including this show, The Sports Loud Mouths, which airs every Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. as we are live today. Speedy, what's up, man? Well, a mixture of two things. So, uh, disappointed that my team decided, uh, unfortunately, lost their closer for the season in a uh, freak accident. One injury you can't blame the Mets for, luckily. Hmm. So, but I don't know about that. A, uh, hindering to the Mets' bullpen. But, at the same time, I can rejoice that Virginia lost again in the NCAA tournament. So, if you're not a Virginia fan out there or an Arizona fan, hope you're enjoying March Madness so far. Oh, yes. March Madness begins today as the bracket opens up. There's a couple of upsets, and uh, I'm sure there'll be quite a few tomorrow. At 9.30, we'll be talking to Washington Commanders running back Jonathan Williams. At 10.30, we'll be talking to former Bills and Cardinals offensive tackle John Fina. We will get into Edwin Diaz, tears his uh, Patel attendant, celebrating in the World Baseball Classic. We'll miss the season. MLB says they will intensify tracking down on sticky substances this season. Jalen Carter. Pleads no contest to reckless driving charges and participates in Georgia in his pro day. Didn't look very good, too. So uh, we will get into that. Chargers grant Austin Eckler permission to seek a trade. NFL free agency recap and March madness underway. So we'll get into that a little bit later. I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to our thoughts in March madness. I really couldn't do my bracket today. Been so busy taking care of stuff, but uh, I will still do my bracket because everybody asked me where do I, where do I see my bracket falling? Uh, so I will still do my bracket tonight and we'll figure out everything as we move forward. I don't even know the scores of the game. I know that there were two upsets, um, as we heard Virginia lost and Arizona lost. So, uh, But I, I expected certain teams to win. So I will do my bracket a little bit later after the show. So why don't we get into it? Edwin Diaz tears his patella attendant. He is out for the season. World Baseball Classic. And I'll tell you this. When you play... In the World Baseball Classic. When you play for a tournament like this, things happen. If you remember, a couple of years ago, it happened to another Met, David Wright, who got hurt in the tournament and really never played baseball again. He could never play at the top of his game after the World Baseball Classic. As a matter of fact, he was hot throughout the World Baseball Classic. And I'm not sure if it was the second or third game. He hurts himself, he hurts his back, and he was never the same. When you put 
players in tournaments like this. As you saw, Aaron Judge decided not to play. Quite a few players were invited to uh, the World Baseball Classic and decided not to play. You look at the pitchers that Team USA has. They're not the top-end pitchers in, you know, in, uh, in the United States. Justin Verlander is not playing. Carlos Rodon is not playing. Garrett Cole is not playing. Jacob DeGrom isn't playing. So there are not many great pitchers playing for Team USA. And one of the main reasons are it, it's throwing. It's the arm situation. As you see, uh, shoulder injuries, elbow injuries, even knee injuries to these pitchers. So when you hear Edwin Diaz could be out or is going to be out for the rest of the baseball season. Baseball season hasn't even started. He just got a $100 million contract by uh, Stevie Cohen, or Uncle Stevie, and the New York Mets. You're sitting there scratching your head. Because the World Baseball Classic is only two weeks. And the MLB season is about five months. Six months if you're in the playoffs. So you sit here, and if you're a Mets fan, you're not happy. Obviously, you lose your best relief pitcher, your closer. You're not going to hear that silly song in the ninth inning when he comes out. But nevertheless, I don't care about a damn song. I care about the pitcher. And Edwin Diaz last year was the best relief pitcher in baseball. What we saw last year was miraculous. And, and what he did... Throughout the end of the season, where I thought he was going to break down, he just got better and better and better. Now what do the Mets do for their closing position? Where do they go? There are some free agents out there. There are some closers that are still available. Are they good ones? No. Most of the good closers are already taken or on a roster right now. Do the Mets look to make a trade before the season starts, that could happen. But with that whole Carlos Correa thing falling apart this offseason, not getting the third baseman they thought they were going to land, and now losing Edwin Diaz and Jacob DeGrom, who he heads over there to Texas. He's not, he's not healthy either, but it's not a significant injury like Edwin Diaz. You should be worried. If you're a Met fan. Now, if you look at the Mets rotation right now, Katana's out for a couple of months. We were talking about their senior citizen pitchers in that rotation. Justin Verlander, yes, he won the Cy Young last year for the Astros, but the guy's like 40 years old. This is his first year in New York. He signed a two-year contract with the Mets. He's making, I, I don't know, $40, $43 million a year. Max Scherzer, where everybody said, Max has never been injured. Barely ever been injured. When he was with the Nationals, barely ever was injured. He goes, obviously, to the Dodgers last year. At the end of the season, gets traded. His shoulder was hurt. He didn't look very good in the playoffs. Then he goes to the Mets, and then all of a sudden, he has multiple injuries, two lat injuries throughout the season, and couldn't really get healthy. Everybody was talking about the Mets having the best one-two punch in baseball last year with Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. 
And those guys couldn't stay healthy. Now you add Justin Verlander. You lose Jacob DeGrom. You add Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander is known to stay healthy, even though uh, coming back from uh, UCL tear, he was out for a year, came back, wins a Cy Young, was dominant, wins a World Series with the Astros, signs a one-year deal with them, then goes to free agency. And, of course, the Mets add an old pitcher, a 40-year-old pitcher, and you are, you're really banking on your two best pitchers and two of the oldest pitchers, Hall of Fame pitchers, but two of the oldest pitchers and starters in the major leagues. And that's what happens when you play in these tournaments. Of course you want to win for Team USA. Of course you want to win for the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico or Japan. The four powerhouse teams in the World Baseball Classic. And to get picked to play for your team, your country, it's an amazing thing. It really is. To wear the red, red, white, and blue for Team USA. Fantastic feeling. But it could affect your season. It could affect, affect your team season. If you're one of the best players on your team, you're the superstar of the team, and they lose you for the season. The Mets have nobody to fill in that role. Seth Lugo, he's no longer there. Yep, you're going to have to rely on Adam Adovino or David Robertson. <laughs> Adam Adovino, who, by the way, is playing for Team USA. What's it going to take? Is he going to get hurt in the World Baseball Classic and be eliminated from that rotation or uh, whatever you want to call it? Bullpen for the New York Mets? That's what happens when you... You, you do these things. And, and again, I'm not sitting here and taking shots at Edwin Diaz. He was happy. He was jumping up and down. And he tears his patella tendon. But doing that, and we've seen players do this before in tournaments. Who was the last player to do something like this that we remember? I remember, I remember Kendry Morales had one like that where he was in a celebration on a walk-off and he uh, tore his ACL. His career was never the same after that. Yes, it was somebody else, some, some big name that happened in baseball. I think it was a year ago or two years ago. He was jumping up and down because they won and he, he tore his ACL or something like that. And he was out for the season. Yeah, you never, you never like those to see celebrations, celebration injuries like that. It's happened a couple times in football, too. I, you know, um, One of them was celebrating a sack. I think it was Lamar Houston when he was with the Raiders was celebrating a sack against the Patriots, and he tore his ACL. There were, there was a lot of them, these fluky ones in celebrations, too. And, and there's obviously ones in the dugout, too, because the dugout could be menacing, too. They celebrated the dugout running, and they get hurt, too. So those fluky ones you never like to see. It's very unfortunate because, again, Edwin Diaz, celebrating the way he did, got the save against the Dominican Republic, who was the favorite coming into the tournament. Now they're eliminated, and Puerto Rico advances to the, the quarterfinals. So there's going Are to be you surprised passion. that the Dominican Republic got eliminated? Not that, I, I didn't expect this early. I didn't think you expect them to win, because it's a team with a lot of egos, and usually the most talented team on paper doesn't usually win. Japan always yeah. wins. Go look. In the last four baseball classics, I think... They won twice. Japan yeah. won twice out of the, the four baseball classics that were played in the last 15 years. Yeah. It's not easy to win these tournaments. In Japan, they're a very good team because a lot of these players played together in Japan for a significant amount of time. Right. And these, the rules in the World Baseball Classic, 
is mainly held in Japan. They're J- Japanese rules. Right, and a lot of them are professional players over there, too, that have a lot of experience, too. Some of the guys, because, like you were saying, a lot of U.S. guys drop out, and they don't have as many professional players. A lot of the pitchers. Most a lot of, the, of pitchers, the pitchers. Right, and because of that, they're having to go to either younger pitchers that don't have a lot of the international experience the same way, or just pitchers that haven't been as good in recent years, and all of a sudden, yeah, the U.S., did not look good in certain games because of that. Mexico bombarded them on Sunday, and they were able to hold their own against Colombia uh, yesterday and ended up winning that game, but still. They're moving on. They're moving on, but again, they, a lot of questions. They lost one game, Speedy. Why? Because they lost one game? What did you think? They were going to sweep the division or the conference that they put them in? They weren't going to win every game. They won three out of the four games. Right, but it's still, like you're right on the pitching, though, because you look at the starting pitching, it's not ones that can go a lot of length. Uh, Michael Miles Michaelis, I think, is the oldest pitcher they have there. Merrill Kelly's a good young starter, but is not a length guy. He's young. And the rest of them are all, like you said, old guys that aren't that good anymore, and it's going to be hard to hold up. And that's why somebody like Edwin Diaz could be very vital to get those saves. And now Edwin Diaz hurt, again, an unfortunate injury, and you worry for the long term, too, for Edwin Diaz as well. He was 28 years old, and it was pretty durable throughout his career before that. He had one minor injury his first year, I think, with the Mets, and that was really it. I still think Japan's winning the whole thing. I still believe they're going to win the whole thing. And that's just because they have done this year in and year out in their country, and then they come to these tournaments. It doesn't matter what kind of tournament. It's a world tournament, and they come out the winner. They always do. So, I, I, my pick going into this tournament was Japan. Not the Dominican Republic, which everybody chose the Dominican Republic. If you looked at the betting lines of the World Baseball Classic, everybody picked the Dominican Republic. And they didn't even make it to the next, the semifinals. Yeah, they is, couldn't even make it to more, the semifinals. That's one of the worst ones you'll see in any like international competition. Is like, it the quarterfinals or the semifinals? It's the quarterfinals. The quarterfinals. It's Cuba and Japan have buys now. And then it's, uh, then it's U.S. They're playing Venezuela. And Puerto Rico is playing Mexico in the next two rounds and the other teams. Think of it like the NFL playoffs used to be six teams. And the MLB playoffs are now six teams. The fact is, to lose a player of this talent for the New York Mets, it really puts them in a situation where they're going to have to nitpick after this tournament on who is going to be either moved to the bullpen, which they don't have a lot of starting pitchers on this roster right now, or they're going to have to go and look in the free agency market or bring somebody back from, you know, retirement or something. (laughs) Maybe they should reach out to Hoffman or Mariano Rivera or something. I mean, they're in a position right now that they're, they're put their backs are against the wall. They're put in a situation that they didn't want to be in, especially when you're bet one of your best players who just got a hundred million dollars to this offseason because of what he did last year, goes into a tournament and is out for the rest of the season. Billy Wagner, you want to come out of retirement? Maybe you pitch one more year. You'll get in the Hall of Fame. Why not? (laughs) Who knows at this rate? But the Mets are going to have to get some kind of modern concepts down, which hopefully Buck Showalter, who's an older manager, can try to evolve to, too. Because, yeah, even if they try Adam Adovino as a closer, they try David Robertson as a closer, those guys are better in other roles. And they're going to have to find a closer that is on the roster that is maybe a homegrown guy. Teams have done this for a while. Good teams find young closers because they're a very fluky position as it is. So... The Mets have never had that thing going for them when they found closers that were homegrown, except for the small stretch with Familia when he was good for those two years, when he was supposed to be a starter originally. So they have to find that on their roster because the Mets are not going to be able to get it done otherwise. And this is the big thing with the Mets 
where I'm not going to blame them for the injury because the injury happened during the World Baseball Classic. I'm not going to fault for, um, Diaz for going there because you have every right to try to stand up for your to, to play for your country. It's a thing of pride. I'm never going to sh- shot anyone down for that. But the Mets did not have a good plan B coming into that. They lost four relievers in the offseason, and they traded for one Brooks Raley I like. They brought in David Robertson, and they didn't really have much else in option. You're really trusting a lot of young kids and a – Farm system that's not very deep pitching-wise to be able to carry this team. Good luck. I'm looking right now at the free agent market right now for a relief pitcher, and there's not many good ones. There really isn't. And, and, and obviously, the Mets could take a shot at one of these guys, and maybe they get lucky. Or maybe they have to make a trade. I don't know what they have in their farm system that is worth anything, but to give up a top closer, you're going to have to give up a, a top-end, you know, Top talent in their farm system. And I don't know what the Mets have in their farm system or what they're willing to give up moving into this season where they're going to rent a relief pitcher going into this uh, this big season for the Mets. Because everybody expects the Mets to be a playoff team, even though the Philadelphia Phillies got better and the Atlanta Braves I would say they got worse, but still with the talent that they have in their farm system, one of the best farm systems in baseball, and they had two of the best uh, uh, rookies in baseball, pitcher and uh, a fielder, out, outfielder last year, yep. who won the rookie of the year. So uh, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what the Mets do now that Edwin Diaz is out for the rest of the season. Uh, the MLB says they will intensify tracking down on the sticky substances this season. We've been talking about this. We've been speaking about Garrett, Garrett Cole from the New York Yankees, uh, Spider Tap, or whatever they call it. And, and, and we, we have spoken to a lot of coaches in the minor leagues, managers in the minor leagues, and even ex-Major League Baseball players. And people have been doing this for years. It's not just the last couple of years that they're using substances to throw a baseball. Has anybody watched Major League, the movie? Yeah, classic. Major League One, and, and, and I remember, I forget who it was or what their names were, but he was talking about he uses snot, he uses sweat, spit, whatever he can get his hands on, Vaseline, to put spin on the ball. I remember it was, he was talking to... Um, you remember that part of the movie? I, I forget who it was. It was, it, was the, it was the snot. That was the funniest, though. I remember and that was the that was the one that I haven't seen like the, the biggest, movie in a while. But the, it was like the I, biggest clava snot. Oh my god! I remember he was uh, the pitcher was telling that to Char- Charlie Sheen. Yep. And um, Wild Thing, whatever his name was, but yeah, Vaughn Wild. Yeah, Rick Vaughn. But I remember this for years. It's been going on for since the '60s and the '70s and the '80s. This, is, this isn't new. So obviously, baseball is trying to stop this because it's affecting, well, it's helping pitchers throw the ball, put more spin on the ball. As we saw in the playoffs last year, I, I think it was with the, the Padres. The Mets were complaining. Buck Showalter was complaining about who, who's the pitcher? Musgrove. Musgrove. He was pitching a, f- a fantastic game. I think seven innings of no-hit ball or something like that. And then... He go uh, Buck Showalter goes to the umpires in the sixth inning. And again, they're already down 5 nothing. keep in mind. And complains that they should check his, uh, I think they said check his hat. 
They were checking his neck. Checking his neck, because his ear. The glow of the lights at City Field made it look like that sweat that he had on his neck was something that looked like something that could have been like a pine tar type thing or something like that, some kind of substance. And they figured, all right, why not? It's a 5 nothing blowout game. Let's try everything we got. I'm not going to fall buck for trying it, but it was obvious that it wasn't. To see what baseball is doing now, and I understand they're, they're changing rules. They're making the game a little bit more faster. I, I love that there's no more shifting, so it'll open up the game for hitters and, and definitely left-handed hitters that like to pull the ball. But this, I, 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 we've, how many baseball players, how many ex-catchers have we had on this show and tell us that it doesn't matter? It would have been good to talk about this with Dale Scott yesterday. Too. It's That's been going player. on yeah. all the time. It's been going on for years. Why is all of a sudden there's a complaint about it? Why? Because you guys, you have guys like Garrett Cole that have done it, and he's not the only one. We've had, we've heard Corey Kluber was doing it for years, and because they've been doing it, that's the reason why they're great pitchers. Garrett Cole has been a great pitcher. For years, even before that, when he played for Pittsburgh. Why all of a sudden he went to the Astros, and they like to cheat, or they like to find ways to uh, get an advantage. All of a sudden, it becomes a story. A story that nobody can handle. Because right now in baseball, you see the way the game is going. And the twists and turns that they're trying to make to make the game more interesting to watch. They want to see more runs. They want to see more offense. They don't want to see dominant pitching anymore. So to take away illegal substances like this gives the advantage to the hitters. And especially with the pitch clock now, too, because 15 seconds without runners on base, too, it's going to be a hard time to be able to get the grip as it is. And now they're trying to track down other substances. And again, a lot of substances that we probably don't know exist yet. Because you look at what Robinson Cano got caught with with the steroid incident five years ago. A lot of those, a lot of those steroids he got caught with were never heard of before. They were only things exclusively in the Dominican Republic. Who says that kind of thing can't happen with sticky substances of their own? There's something that's chemically made. Something that's scientifically made in a lab that nobody knows about. And is a foreign substance. They don't call it foreign substance for nothing. That's why I think Major League Baseball is trying to track down on this now and trying to get these newer stuff from a more general standpoint uh, tracked down. Uh, Brian Friedman, shout out to him. Uh, even as a Braves fan, this sucks. I, I think he referenced to Diaz. No great closers just sitting out there. And uh, Snug says the Yankees like to cheat too. But again, the Yankees weren't the only team cheating. There were two guys that got suspended, and neither of them were Yankees in 2021. One of them was a Mariners pitcher, Hector Santiago, and then the other one was a Marlins pitcher, Caleb Smith. So it wasn't the Yankees that ended up getting caught cheating with that last year. A lot of the pitchers use it for a better grip. That's why they use it. Right. And that's why they have powder on the mound. And that's why you see a lot of these uh, pitchers, you know, every single time they throw a ball, they're playing with the powder. And, 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 and I understand they have to have a grip. It's raining. Or even when it's, it's sunny out, it's 80 degrees and it's dry out. You need to get some kind of grip. But does it really fully affect the spin rate? Right. Does it really do that? Now, if you put something, if you put snot on the ball, or you put something on the ball and you throw it a certain way. Obviously, there's going to be more spins when you throw the ball by the way it rotates. Okay? But, again, the to me, the hitter always has the advantage in the box. They've had it for years. Just because he can't hit the ball is not the pitcher's fault. Now, I understand what baseball is trying to do. They think it's cheating. 
okay? There are many different ways in professional sports, not just the players, but the coaches. Even the GMs have found ways in hockey, as you know, if, if they go on the IL, you can, you can see, that money comes off the cap and you can go after another player. That happened in the NFL, too, I think in the 90s with the Broncos as well. It happens all the time. Everybody tries to find a way to get an advantage. This is sports. It's been going on forever. This is nothing new. It's been going on in the 50s, the 40s, the 60s. Amphetamines have been around for years. Baseball players, you're talking about Ted Williams. You're talking about Mickey Mantle. How about the original spitball in the 60s? That's another thing. How many times did we see in the... Well, I wasn't alive in those days, but my grandfather used to say they used to do so many things to the balls. Now, all of a sudden, the balls are different. There's different seams on the balls. The balls are bigger. They're smaller. Even in football... Remember Deflategate? Yep. Remember that with Tom Brady? How many people blew that out of proportion? Yeah. I understand if it's cold outside and the ball is hard, it can it can come out from a running back. We've heard this many, many times, and that's why they the coaches, obviously, and, and when you're you're going through OTAs and practices, they're they're showing you how to hold the ball and, and you still, even as a professional football player. Players don't hold the ball right. We've seen it. How many How many great running backs have dropped the ball consistently every single season? It happens a lot. Just ask Melvin Gordon this year. Uh, before we go to break, a uh, shout-out to all the new fans listening. Yes. Uh, Trace Snide, Zulika Santiago, uh, Brian Freeman, who I mentioned in the comment section, Paul Ponzone, and all the, uh, all the returning fans as well, Snug commenting and, uh, and Ben as well. When we come back, we'll be talking to Washington Commanders running back, Jonathan Williams, here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. Six three one six seven two thirty one zero eight is the number you are listening to the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host Daryl Marks, my co-host Speedy Petey. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. All the listings right now in the menu key. And you can check out all the different guests and and all the different uh, clips that we have up on our website. Check out all our stories that are posted week by week. And check out the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. as we are live right now. And our first guest of the show, first time on the show, we are now talking to Washington Commanders running back Jonathan Williams. John, what's up, man? How you doing? Glad to be here. We're good, man. How are you feeling? How are you and your family doing from all the craziness of the last couple of years, especially with COVID-19? Uh, we're doing good. I don't know if you can hear in the background, but one of my sons is screaming right now. So uh, we're doing good. They're they're growing up. I got four sons, so it's it's a crazy household right now. You're but, still uh, playing football, man. So that's a good sign. No doubt, no doubt. I'm blessed. Yeah. Uh, so, why sure. so why don't we get into it? Obviously, you're playing for the Commanders going into the season. OTAs after the draft. Uh, there's going to be beginning OTAs and practices. 
What are your thoughts so far in this offseason? Some of the acquisitions, obviously, free agency opened up for Washington uh, yeah. on Wednesday. What are, what are your thoughts with some of the acquisitions that they have made and, and some of the new coaches that you added this offseason? Uh, I'm excited. You know, we got Eric B. Enemy, uh, you know, an offensive coordinator that I think is respected league-wide, somebody that um, everybody knows that he has potential to be, you know, eventually a head coach someday, but um, he has two Super Bowl championships. So, you know, that knowledge that he brings is going to be something that's going to help the offense. And then as a running back, you know, we picked up two offensive linemen. So you, you're always excited when you add to that room as a running back. So uh, I think so far uh, everything's been looking good. You know, I think that we have a lot of talent on the team already. And I know guys are excited to get back to OTAs and get back up there and start training and, and getting ready for the season. So you actually played with uh, two good running backs, and one of which a rookie running back last year, Brian Robinson, a story that was very incredible. Uh, Unfortunately, got shot. He was part of that uh, bank robbery at the beginning of the year, and then he came back in like four games and was playing and playing at a high level. So what was he like as a teammate on and off the field, and how did you as a veteran running back help groom him? I love that guy, man. Uh, He's like a little brother to me. Um, You know, I talked to him a lot after that just because obviously I've never – been through a gun wound, gunshot wound before, but I've had injuries that I had to miss time for and come back uh, afterwards. And I was just trying to make sure that mentally and emotionally, you know, he was still with it, you know, that he would come up to the facility and be around the teammates and be around positive energy because you know, that's, that type of thing is important. You know, if you're, if, you know, you have an injury and you're away from the team a while and you're by yourself, you can start getting, you know, kind of in your feelings and kind of getting down. So you definitely want to stay positive. So, uh, it was more so of off-the-field stuff, going and visiting him and keeping his mind straight, you know, not letting him be alone. But uh, he's a beast, though. You know, and I knew he was going to come back and get ready. Uh, that dude's mindset is just crazy. So <laughs> this, is one of, this is one of the terrorists right here. Uh-oh. Oh, there he is. Oh, look at that. He's, there he's he is. Athlete. He's an athlete, too. He's going to be on your talk show one day. <laughs> One day in the, in the far future. So the next Jonathan Williams. Yeah, he's Jay Will too. He goes, his name is Drew Williams. So. Oh, all hey. right, Jay this Williams, another Jay Williams. <laughs> we are talking to Washington Commanders running back Jonathan Williams. John, last year your quarterback room had uh, Taylor Haneke and then obviously Carson Wentz. They're no longer there. Taylor goes elsewhere. Carlson Wentz is no longer there. I'm not surprised. Now you have Sam Howell, who's he's your starter. Uh, you have Jacoby Brissett, who you brought in, and Jake Fromm. What are your thoughts to the three quarterbacks that you added this offseason? I like them. You know, I already had prior history to with uh, Jacoby um, in, in Indianapolis with the Colts in 2019. So uh, he's a guy that I'm familiar with, and I know how much of a professional he is. He's somebody that he's going to come in the building. He's going to work hard day in and day out. Uh, he's going to be in the, a leader in the locker room. He's a veteran guy, too. So uh, he's a guy that knows the game, who's, who's very confident when he gets out there on the football field, and he's going to lead in the right way. Um, Sam, he was a young guy last year, but everybody saw what he was able to do um, in the last game. And that's just, you know, a small snippet of what he's capable of doing. You know, every day at practice, we would see him working. Uh, I think the thing about Sam is his, his swagger, his demeanor. You know, he's a, he's a confident guy. He's a guy that everybody loves in the locker room. You know, guys are willing to follow, even at the young age that he he's at right now. So um, I'm excited about him and Jake as well. You know, Jake is a guy that he comes from Georgia, uh, played with some of the best players, you know, to play football. He, he's an SEC guy, so I'm a little biased because I'm an SEC <laughs> guy. Um, 
but you know, even last year when he was on the team, you could see the work ethic that he has and the attention to detail that he pays to the game. So uh, I'm excited to see what that room is gonna is gonna ship out to be like. But I think we have three good guys, and I'm excited. So the NFC East has always been thought of as one of the more intense divisions, especially when it comes to the head-to-head rivalries. And last year, they had three playoff teams, and you guys played well against all of them, just missed out on the playoffs. You guys beat the Eagles for their first loss of the season. You beat the Cowboys at the end of the year. So the NFC East intensity, like, is it is it what everybody thinks it is? And what are some of the biggest moments from that season? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think it was clearly the best division in, in football this past season. Um it's just fun every weekend and week out. You know, you know you're going to play those guys two times a year, um, and you get excited to play. It's definitely those rivalry games. I'm a guy. I'm from Dallas. You know, I'm currently in Dallas right now, and so I know the 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 hostility between Washington and Dallas. You know, everywhere I go, I put my my Washington stuff on, and everybody's asking, "Oh, you know, you're not supposed to be wearing that down here." You know, so it's just that that uh, rivalry in, in that conference is is something that every player feels that plays in that conference, and you enjoy it. You know, week in and week out. Um, but I definitely think that, uh, we were, we were competitive, but we could have done better. You know, we have a lot of talent on that team. Um, I think too much talent to, to have the result that we did this past season. I know everybody's ready, like I said, to get back up there and prove what I'm saying, right. To prove us right. So, um, I think this is going to be a good year for us. We are talking to Washington commanders running back, Jonathan Williams, John, one of my favorite players in the league is Terry McLaurin. He's a star mm-hmm. wide receiver in the league. He's absolutely explosive when he's on the field. He's been fighting injury year in and year out for the last couple of years. But when he's on the field, he's as good as any wide receiver in the league. Tell us okay. a little bit about him. What makes him so explosive? He's just a dog, man. I mean, that's as clear as I can put it. I mean, he's a dog. He's somebody that comes in. He's not a prima donna at all. He's a worker. He's a hard worker. He. He, he, he prides himself on being tough. He prides himself on not being a prima donna and being the guy that, you know, you can always count on me. Uh, the way that he practices, that I mean, you see it at practice that he's going to have a good game. You know, he takes every game, every practice rep like it's a game. Uh, and, you know, he, he and, and that energy gives off to the rest of the offense, you know. And, and that's why I think that, you know, we just have too many guys similar to that. You know, our whole receiving room is really good. You know, Jahan, Curtis. Uh, all those guys. We have a lot of talent. We have a lot of guys that love to work and are not prima donnas, but want to get out there and get on the practice field and want to work hard and, and continue to build. So uh, I think we have too many guys like that to, to have the record that we did last year. And I know everybody's ready to, to prove me right. So you, throughout your career, have played with a lot of different coaches and a lot of different types of coaches. You were drafted by yeah. the Bills, got to play with Rex Ryan. You were 2018, you went with the Saints with Sean Payton, Frank Reich yeah. with the Colts in 2019, and Ron Rivera, obviously, now, uh, with a mixture of Matt Patricia, I think it was in between in Detroit, or Dan Campbell, I forget which yeah. one. But, <laughs> but what are some of the differences between those coaches and uh, an interesting fact about any of them, if you have one? Uh, it, it's It's actually a cool thing to be able to – I mean, everybody comes into the NFL, and no one wants to be bouncing around from team to team. To team. You know, everybody wants that one place that they can spend the majority of their career, and, you know, that feels like home. Uh, the way that I look at it is that I've been able to get the opportunity to be around all these coaches and to see why some people are successful, some people aren't, or, you know, this vibes of the locker room, what works best with players, depending on, you know, a lot of different factors. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say one way is better than the other, but I just get to observe. I've been able to observe a lot of different ways. Um, coach Rivera, he's definitely a, a player's coach. He's def- definitely a player's coach. He's definitely a guy that he's going to feel, he's going to be tough. I mean, he's a defensive minded guy, 
but he's a guy that he definitely taps into the temperature of the locker room. He tries to see how guys' bodies are feeling. Um, and he wants guys to be fresh. And he understands that if, if, if this is something that the guys want, then it's something that they're going to give their 100% doing. You know, and so he's definitely a, a player's coach. Um, I love my time with Rex Ryan. He he ended up getting fired at the end of the year, so he didn't finish <laughs> the season. But uh, as a as a person, you know, as a guy that grew up loving football and just watching him and knowing his, you know his personality and stuff, it was cool to to be in the same meeting rooms with him and him being the head coach and having that you know opportunity. Uh, Sean Payton is definitely a legend. He's a he's a a different a different guy for sure. Uh, the 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 tempo in New Orleans was a high tempo was high tempo practice. It was like game day every single day almost. So, uh, I mean, Drew Brees had a, a a good part in that too. The, the attention to detail that he paid to the game, but um, I think all those guys have definitely impacted me on and off the football field. So uh, I really appreciate. I you know it's tough that I had to you know, be a journeyman, but I appreciate all the lessons that I got from, you know, my interactions. With There's them. a lot of craziness that has gone on with the Washington commanders over the last couple of years, ownership, things off the field, you being there for the last past year and a half. Does, do, do you, do you see any of those things off the field? Has it affected anybody off on and off the field as far as the team is concerned? I know that I'm supposed to say no, right. But I still really feel like it hasn't just because, it is two different businesses in one, you know, when the, the stuff, you know, things that happen off the field, you know, with, you know, the owner and all that stuff, that's another part of the company, you know, and what we do is come in and we go to practice and we play football and we, you know, so it, you see the stuff on TV, but it doesn't, it's not like it directly impacts us because we, our schedule is going to be the same. We're going to wake up, we're going to go in our team meeting at eight o'clock and we're going to go to special teams after that and we're going to go to practice, you know, so it's like, you have a job to do, you know, it's not, you know, you, you don't really, I mean, we, you, we see it a little bit just like everyone else does, but it's not something that, you know, for me, I feel like any, anybody in the locker room is really thinking about while we're at practice or anything. You're worried about being the best you can be, you know, on that practice field and, and trying to be able to, to win a game on Sunday. So. So a lot of the NFL players have brought to attention. Uh, they prefer natural grass over turf, Cooper cup, Odell Beckham. Yeah. And, uh, You've played on a natural grass field at FedEx Field, one of the two in the league right now for the last three years, and you've played in a mixture of domes with your other teams. So where do you stand on that whole debate? I definitely like grass more. I think the older, the older that you get, the more that you start realizing, oh, grass is a lot better. I remember whenever uh, I was younger and I came into the league and some of the older guys were complaining, like, oh, man, well, not the turf. <laughs> I used to be like, oh, what are they talking about? Like, you know, who doesn't want to play on turf? Like, why would you, you know, you're faster on turf. And all, but the older you get, you start realizing, ah, maybe that turf isn't really so good for my knees and my back and, you know, my ankles and stuff like that. So um, I'm, I'm definitely a, a natural grass guy for sure. I think longevity um, – it helps with that, you know, it helps with your joints and, and it's a softer landing, you know, so I'm definitely a grass guy. I think it's going to be more expensive to for everyone to have grass. Grass is definitely the way to go. I'm glad that we have grass. Everybody enjoys coming to our stadium on that field because it's a good grass field as well, too. I like it. I'm definitely a grass guy.
We are talking to Washington Commanders running back Jonathan Williams. John, you, you look at your division, and we, we were just speaking about the NFC East and how good the NFC East was last year. But now a lot of the big quarterbacks from the NFC have uh, slowly but surely moved to the AFC. So it's so wide open. There aren't any star quarterbacks in in the NFC anymore. I mean, obviously Derek Carr goes to the Saints, but if you go up and down the rosters, Dak Prescott, I wouldn't say he's a star. He's he's around 11 or 12 right now in the league. Philadelphia has a star in Jalen Hurts. Uh, the Giants have Daniel Jones. We'll see what he's going to do uh, in his second year at under Dable. He had a very good season. Minnesota, obviously, I'm not I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but uh, every single one of these teams are, you know, we don't know what the quarterback position will stand this year. Knowing that, knowing that the NFC is so wide open, and knowing that you're in a division that could be wide open this year, where do you see the Washington Commanders moving forward in this year with a new offensive coordinator like Eric Bieniemy? We have a lot of talent in our room, in our building. I haven't really been able to speak to Coach Bieniemy, but I'm excited to work with him. You know, I think everybody knows how good of a coach he is, you know, and he's been kind of on that radar the last couple of years of being a head coach and, you know, uh, just moving up in the ranks. So I think that with the talent paired with Coach Bienemy coming to our, our organization, I think the, the I think we can do anything, mm. you know, to be honest. And it's not really judging it based off of other teams and their quarterbacks and things like that. I think when I look in our room, I see the talent at receiver. I see the talent in our running back room. I see the talent in the quarterback room. I see um, our offensive line, the pieces that we just added to our offensive line. I see a really good coach in Eric Bieniemy that is going to get all that talent together and be able to, you know, package it up and be able to to be explosive on the football field. We had a top five defense last year. Yes, you a did. Really good defense. We have guys coming back like Chase and um, Payne just got signed. So um, we have a really good team. You know, special teams were one of the best special teams units. Uh, in the game, and that's a huge part of the game. That's a third of the game as well. And we have guys that love to be out there, love to play, love to win. Um, so I'm looking more so at us and our roster, and I look at our room and that building, and I see a lot of talent, and I see uh, the sky being the limit. You know, we just have to put it together, but I think we'll be able to do that. You mentioned the special teams. I love that video that uh, Jeremy Reeves posted when he got his nomination to the Pro oh, Bowl. Man. That was really something. I, yeah. I was very happy for him. Uh, that's a, that was a great moment. I mean, that just shows you the type of real family environment that we have in that locker room, though. You know, like guys are we, – we, we love each other. You know, it's not just we go to work and it's offense and defensive guys and special teams guys. It's, we're all a team, you know. And moments like that, um, everybody felt. You know, and I think that being in that environment helped Jeremy reach – the level that he did, you know, and not that, you know, he wouldn't have been a good player anyway, but I think that, you know, having a family environment like that brings the best out of everybody, you know, because everybody plays off of each other. Everybody's comfortable. Everybody can be themselves. So, um, you know, I just, I'm excited for this year, for sure. I'm really excited. John, you look at everything that happened last year, including what happened in the last, last few games of the season, DeMar Hamlin going down the way he did. I don't know where you were at that specific time. What were your feelings after that thing happened and then finding out that DeMar Hamlin survived of the heart stop and, and then going being rushed to the hospital? Everything stopped. The NFL stopped. The world stopped after DeMar Hamlin fell over. That was scary. You know, I've had injuries. I've had broken ankles. 
um, you know, Liz Frank and shoulder injuries and all this. And that's a part of the game, right? I mean, you don't go in there thinking I'm going to be fresh every day or, you know, injury rate in the NFL, 100%. You're going to get hurt. I mean, that's just a part of the game. So I don't think anybody plays it without knowing that they will or that they're worried about getting hurt. I mean, you don't play the game scared to get hurt. You know, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. But to imagine you really being able to die is another level of, you know, injury. You know, that's, yeah. that's different. So I think that was definitely an eye-opening experience to everybody, you know, not just fans or, you know, watching, but players too. People say, you could die out here. But, like, it never really crossed my mind that you could actually yeah. die. Yeah. You know, so that was definitely something that was uh, that was eye-opening. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a guy that I've been playing football for a long time. So it's still just one of those things in my head. I'm like, it's not going to happen to me. Right. You know, I just hope that it doesn't, that could sound, you know, crazy. I play football. So, I mean, I'm, I pray every day that it doesn't happen to me, you know? Uh, but there's a lot of things in life in general that could happen. I yeah. mean, you know, you, you just, you know, people die, pass away in car wrecks every day and, Walking, you know, you never know what's gonna happen. So I, for me, I'm still gonna play, and uh, I, you know, I love the game, but it's definitely an eye-opening experience, and it's a sad one. I'm glad that he's still here, still breathing. Um, I hope that you know, in the future, that he doesn't have any serious complications. He but. plans to come back this year. <laughs> I mean, and every single doctor that uh, has spoken about this particular injury and thing that happened to him says that he could back, he could be, very much be back on the field a lot sooner than later. Wow. See, I don't. I still don't really know what happened. I mean, from what I've seen, I, I've, I don't know any special news or anything. I've seen some stuff online saying that I guess it was just the perfect timing of yes. the hit versus when his heart was on the uptake. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, you know, a one in a thousand type of thing. But. A lot of people were complaining about the COVID shots. Supposedly, right. he, he took the COVID shot two weeks before. He got hit like that, and some people say the COVID shot was the reason why that happened. And and he's not the first person that uh, people have blamed the COVID shot on the reason why their heart stopped or somebody has died. There's there was a model that a, a male model that passed away. He was found dead. He was young, and he had the COVID shot about a week before he was found dead. Uh, there was I think a movie star that was found dead. He took the COVID shot three weeks before they found that particular person dead. So I, I don't know if that's the reason why, and I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but it's crazy when you see something like that happen to DeMar Hamlin and he supposedly had the COVID shot two weeks before he got hit like that. So I'm not blaming that, but uh, they said there was a one in 2 million, 2 million chance that that could happen. I mean, it's crazy. Nobody in their wildest dreams when he fell over, Thought that he was going to stop breathing, and he stopped breathing for like seven, eight minutes, and he he woke up, and and he has no neuro, neurological problems. It's unbelievable how yeah. he's fine, standing up and doing interviews the way he has, and 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 then might even play football again. That's amazing. I know we were at a team event, um, and we had TVs there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't actively watching the game. I think I was just talking to, you know, some of my of teammates. And so I didn't actually see the play live. Um, but then I looked up at the TV and it was 
you know, they had they weren't broadcasting the game anymore. They were talking about, you know, player being down. And so everybody's now everybody's attention is getting called to the TV. We're right. like, oh, what happened? And then they start talking about it a little bit more and more. And they're like, yeah, he's not breathing. He could have possibly his heart stopped this and that. And we're looking at each other like, whoa, what? <laughs> you know, like what? And then they're talking about, you know, maybe starting the game. And it's like, how could you? That game's over. Yeah. <laughs> that game's done. You know, so it's, I mean, it's. It was a crazy, it was a surreal moment for everybody. I got, know, I, I got pissed off because a lot of people were complaining about their fantasy teams, how it was the playoffs Man. and they lost the finals. And this guy almost died on the field. And there are people shooting me texts on our fantasy league. Oh, uh, I, who's going to win the fantasy, the final week of the fantasy? Because of, uh, if the game gets canceled, my two guys aren't playing. So I guess I lose. And then all this other stuff. And I, this guy practically died on the field. And people are talking about their fantasy fantasy team i mean it's it's yeah it's just so crazy how the television can make you so detached from another human you know just because you see someone on tv or you know it's this nfl you know we have that that uh shield it makes people think that people are not human or you know it just detaches people you know that the tv screen detaches people for some reason some odd reason you know people think that those people are you know, just, I don't know, you know, characters or, you know, it, it yeah. just doesn't seem real, you know, yeah. and just for someone to be worried about something that little when something so big is at stake, you yeah. know, as a human, another man's life, it's one you of know, it's but one of it, it, it's, it gets hard for people to detach themselves to and realize that, oh, you're really, I'm talking about another man's life. I know, I mean, they've started the game and those people were probably so excited about, fantasy and that's what their day was about they weren't expecting something that serious to happen but in that moment all that should go out the window you know nobody should be worried about fantasy and i know it's easy for me to say because of course i'm one of those people but you know it's just that's a scary thing it's a scary thing when you can see another human die mm -hmm. and, and it still doesn't hit you just because it's on a tv screen you know a right. tv screen so um I mean, I'm sure for all those people that were watching it live, that it was it was uh, horrible. You know, the energy in that whole stadium was probably something that was. You I mean you probably can't explain it? You know, it's it was it was a crazy moment, man. And I'm glad that, like you said, his he, neurologically he's good. Yes, I'm glad that um, they even has the possibility to be able to play again. They're saying he could play this year. He could be back by this year and playing in the regular season. It's crazy, but I, I've I mean, heard doctors say he it. I believe that he will. I mean, I know from the outside looking in, it probably looks crazy. Like, man, you know, and I would love to say, like, man, if that actually did happen to me, I probably wouldn't play anymore. Right. But, like, I mean, you're, like, wired to play. I mean, you know, you've been playing for so long. It's, it's kind of like the people who drive NASCAR, you know, and they get in those wrecks. And you're like, why would they do that? But. Mm. That's what they do. You know, they've already somehow put it in their mind that, that they're not afraid of that. If something bad happens, I'll be able to bounce back from it. It's crazy. I hope he's able to play and he's strong and healthy. And I'm sure that would be an amazing moment when he walks on to that field in Buffalo. Just going back to what you were saying before, it was one of the most sickening things to me, too, when so many people on social media, whether it's fantasy, like we were saying, betting, anything like that, they make a mistake in a game and they get all these death threats. And it's so sickening to yeah. deal, uh, see that all these athletes have to deal with that kind of thing. I, just to switch sports for a second, uh, Alabama's best player, Brandon Miller, who was uh, apparently investigated with that uh, that shooting a couple months right. ago, he was getting death threats. Uh, like He had to have security walk him into the stadium because he was getting death threats. 
sets. It's just so it's so sickening to me. And people will just do it for the stupidest things, like fantasy football, like a player getting hurt. It's disgusting the way they do that, and yeah. it annoys me to this day. And as a player, I'm sure you feel that. So, no doubt, social media. That's why I, I don't really try to get on too much. I'm more of a I'm I'm at home. I'm with my my kids, my family. But we're we're happy that you did because if it wasn't for you going on Twitter, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have you on the show. So we're actually right. happy that you were on social media. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I get on a little bit, but I'm not a huge. Yeah, huge, I got you. Not I'm not either. Social media guy. I don't live on there and, and try to you know see what everybody's going to say about me. And this John, and I've got over fifty. What is it? Fifty five hundred people that follow me on Twitter. I have a lot of people that follow me on Twitter. I only post up things and clips from our shows. I don't even post anything like what's going on in games and, you know, I'm, stay tuned for this and stay tuned for that. I don't give a crap. Why do I need to post something up for somebody to like it? You know, I, I do it because I want people to follow us. I want people to listen to us. That's the only reason why I do it. As far as social media is concerned, I have Instagram. I have 500 people that follow me on that and they're all my friends. I don't really po- – the last time I posted up a picture was like a year ago, two years ago, okay? And then on Facebook, the only thing I post up on my Facebook – I got 3,000 people that follow me on Facebook. The only thing I post up – my girlfriend complains about it because I don't post any pictures of us when we go somewhere and, and we're at the Niagara Falls or Toronto. I don't post anything, and you there's a reason. That, no. I don't want anybody to know my damn business. No, I'll feel you. You know? Yeah. So uh, moving on to a lighter, a much lighter note, uh, you played with two running backs at the beginning of your career, Alva Kamara and LaShawn McCoy. They both have very interesting personalities. Kamara, especially that 2019 season with a lot of swag. So what were they like as teammates on and off the field? Uh, beast. I mean, Alvin is, is definitely, I'll tell people now, um, he's he's probably the best player I've seen with my own two eyes, in my opinion. He was, he was, uh, Freakish, you know, just to see, you know, be in the same running back room with him and see what he was being coached to do and then seeing what he did after the coaching, you know, what he did plus what he got coached to do is it was crazy to see. And definitely at the young age that he was at, I think what people don't understand about his game is how smart of a player that he is. He has a lot of character and a lot of swag, but he's a very smart player. He has a lot of physical ability, but He's at the right place at the right time because he understands the game. He understands the detail of the game. Um, and that's similar to LaShawn McCoy. You know, he's a smart player too. But I don't think that you reach being a good player to that level unless you have an intelligence about you, you know. A lot of people, you know, so it might be a bad example, but a lot of people, <laughs> you know, say Floyd Mayweather isn't the smartest person. Oh, you know, but he has a, a different intelligence in yes. the boxing room. You know, he's a genius at boxing, like a legitimately, a legitimate genius. So um, they're intelligent football players. You know, they know the game, um, and that's why they're able to put themselves in, in the position that they are. We are talking to Washington Commanders running back Jonathan Williams. Before we let you go, because I know you're busy, I hear your kids in the background. They're probably running around, I'm Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> no, I, lo- I love it. We Who do we have on? Gronkowski. We had um, Chris Gronkowski, Chris Gronkowski yes. on, and his sons were running all over the place, and I love it. I love it because you know what? You're a father, and your kids, they want to hang out with Dad because, right. you know, when the football season starts, you're too busy. You're at work, and uh, you have to get down to business. So, it's the off season, so they want to enjoy uh, hanging out with their pop. So, um, but uh, before we let you go, my question to you is: 
You look at the season, and the season is wide open, the NFC, like I said. Where do you see the Washington Commanders this year? Are they a playoff contending team? Are they uh, a team that uh, they're must watch? Or are they a young team? Uh, obviously, you have Young coming back, and he's going to add a little bit more mischief, you know, mischief on the outside, uh, you know, especially as de- a defensive lineman. Where where do you see the Washington Commanders this year? I think we're a must watch team. I think they were a team that um, is definitely playoff bound. And then when you get into that tournament, you never know what's going to happen. You know, it's week to week after that. But you know, the most important thing is getting into the tournament. And I definitely think that that's in our future. Um, and I think that we're going to go as far as the guys continue to, to grind. And we got guys that work hard. Like I said, that's the core of our team right? is hardworking guys. You know, a guy like Terry, who's one of the best receivers in the league and he, uh, could easily be a guy that's a prima donna and all that stuff. He comes to work every day. You know, guys like, like Chase, you know, he, he's Chase Young, not just because he's big and fast, but he's big and fast because of his work ethic, how passionate he is, how much he loves to play the game, how much he wants to be the best. And that's the culture. We're definitely going to be a playoff contending team. And then once you get into that, that part of the season, uh, it's week to week. And I think that we can go as far as we, as far as, like I said, as far as we want to continue to work for. So um, I'm excited to see it. So favorite play and favorite moment from last season, what would it be and why? Favorite play and favorite moment. Um, my favorite play from last year was, was probably um, in Indianapolis at the Colts. Because um, I played for them, and it's not because it was a grudge match or nothing like that. But, <laughs> uh, just being able to go back to that stadium. Um, and then Terry's from Indianapolis. Right. And so it was at the end of the game, and, and Heineke is scrambling around. He throws one up, um, and Terry comes down with it, basically wins the game. And he's hype, and, I mean, the whole sideline is hype. Everybody <laughs> knows Terry was loving it because he's back at home. You know, that was a big moment, and it was just the energy that that gave the team. I think that was uh, a moment that definitely sticks in my head about last year, or the play that sticks in my head. Uh, favorite moment was probably when uh, B-Rob came running back out uh, after his gun wound shot, and he had the 50 cent playing in the background, <laughs> and he ran out there, and you know the crowd was crazy, and just to be able to see you know everything that he battled from to be able to get back out there on that football field was was a special moment. So uh, I think that's you know Terry was is my favorite play, and then uh, B Rob running out the tunnel was my favorite moment. Well, we really appreciate your time. Go hang out with your kids. Uh, we would definitely love to get you on before the season or maybe during the season. I know you're busy, but we would love to get you on, see how the Washington Commanders are doing. Uh, and by the way, keep playing, stay healthy, so we could see you on the field this year. No doubt. I appreciate it. Thanks for, the, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we were just talking to Washington Commanders running back, Jonathan Williams, fantastic kid. Really, really nice guy. And, and by the way, he's got kids running all over the place over there. So <laughs> Papa Dukes is, uh, you know, playing dad. And that's good. It, it, that's what I love to see. You know, off season is, is time for the family and the kids. And, they, you know, obviously uh, John is, is giving us the time uh, for the interview. And as, as we all know, it's not easy when you have kids running around and wife and dinner time to, well, actually it's 10 o'clock at night, so it's not dinner time. But, uh, you know. Uh, it, it's the opportunity to spend some time with his boys and his kids. So uh, we really appreciate John joining us and, and giving us the time. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get more back into this uh, MLB uh, intensifying this tracking down 
sticky substance thing. Uh, there's some things that I definitely want to say before we get into, uh, obviously, the Jalen Carter uh, pleads no contest situation and his pro day. So when we come back, we'll get into that here on the Sports Loudmouth. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. PD 631-672-3108 is the number to call. We haven't had any callers tonight. I'm very surprised as we had our first guest, uh, Washington Commanders running back Jonathan Williams. He was fantastic. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, all the different uh, listings throughout the week. If you want to listen to us live or listen to the replay on Apple Podcasts, check us out by shooting us uh, 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 you know, a like. Uh, and, sh- and finding us on Apple Podcasts at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Uh, check out the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Before we get into this Jalen Carter situation, I, I did want to finish up with the MLB in the substance situation. MLB Vice President Michael Hill said he, he sent a memo to all 30 teams informing them that they have told umpires to track down on checks for foreign substance, substances. Here are four things they'll be monitoring. Monitoring. Uh, umpires inspections of pitchers hands and fingers which began last season would be more through then uh, and uh, the often per functionary uh, inspections that umpires performed last year those inspections would also be more random as opposed to last season when inspections of starting pitchers were generally performed after the same innings every game. Umpires also resume checking pitchers, caps, gloves, and belts, a practice they employed in 2021 but abandoned in 2022 in favor of more streamlined inspections of the hands and fingers. Most Significantly, umpires would be empowered to be more aggressive about inspecting pitchers than the past. So there you go. Two players that were suspended after being caught with foreign substances in 2021. Mariners pitcher Hector Santiago and Marlins pitcher Caleb Smith. Nobody was suspended in 2022. First time offenders are expected to be suspended for 10 games and repeated Offenders can be suspended even more heavily. Uh, MLB has noted um, the significant increase in spin rate with individual pitchers that was at a high in 2021. And they said ramped up again to very similar spin rates at the end of 2022 season. 871 different pitchers appeared in a major league game last season, the highest total for a single-season MLB record. So there you go. Uh, so MLB you know, posted that up, sent that out, and a very interesting thing. And, and obviously, first offenders, 10 games after that, they could be, you know, they could be 
20 or 30 games suspended for. So, very interesting, Speedy. Yeah, and it's two starts for a starting pitcher. If it was a relief pitcher, it might be three or four outings, depending on how often they're used in the game. But it seems like they're mostly trying to track on it for starting pitchers, especially at the rate they're going with uh, how often they're going to check now, which is going to be very interesting if they want to contradict themselves with the pitch clock and the pace of play stuff. That could slow them down again. Absolutely. Now, this whole Jalen Carter thing. Now, before we get into him pleading no contest and his charges... Carter's charges were of reckless driving and racing in relations to an accident that killed Georgia offensive lineman, uh, lineman Devin Wilcock and recruiting staff member Chandler uh, Lecroy. Uh, that happened after the championship. And I will say this. I don't know who was at fault. The fact that Jalen Carter went back to the accident and then pleaded with the cops and told the cops that he was involved with it. I give him a lot of credit for doing that uh, because, obviously, he didn't want to be caught. He's going into the NFL. This guy was is a top prospect, one of the best defensive linemen going into the draft. So I understand why he did that. And, and you don't know if there's cameras on the road. So And he didn't, want to be put, he didn't want to put himself in that position for being in a hit and run or something like that. But the fact that this has gone on more than once with this guy – Scares me. It scares me. Now, Jalen Carter is a fantastic talent. And we've seen a lot of fantastic talents come out of the NFL draft and did things off the field in college, in high school, and you think they would get away from it. They hire an agent. Uh, they have their brothers go, you know, go move with them wherever they move to whatever state, whatever team they play for, or family members. We've seen that with John Morant. His, his family moved where he moved in Memphis. Did that work? It didn't work, as you see what's going on with John Morant off the, off the court. Now you see Jalen Carter. Now, I don't know if it's a family situation. I don't know if it's just a situation where he just drinks and he gets himself into trouble and he's mischievous. I don't know. I have no idea who Jalen Carter is as a person. I know he's a talented football player. I know a lot of people compare his skills to a lot of ex-NFL players and even NFL players that are in the game today. To me, is he worth the trouble? Is he worth drafting him in the top 10, paying him a significant amount of money, millions and millions of dollars, if this guy can't be on the field, he can't stay on the field in the NFL? Carl says a big issue here is that Carter left the accident scene initially. He knew the severity and didn't go to help. Yeah. And he also says some would see that he as did a go back though. Yes, some would see that as a selfish and not a team player oriented view. Which was it also an issue for him at certain points with discipline on the field in practice, on the field in certain games too. At certain points in his career, and a lot of people were worried about that having a character issue that way. He was able to be much more disciplined this season when he played fantastic. But again, you, you definitely not ideal circumstances. But from what the reports came out uh, recently said, it was actually uh, Lee Croy that was the one that was instigating the racing. She was driving at a, a triple the level alcohol level, uh, 104 miles an hour. And I guess uh, that triggered it more. And then obviously she was one of the victims in that situation, along with Devin Willock. And, that was what the, the police ended up being caught at, not Jalen Carter instigating the race, and even though he was charged with the reckless driving. So it'll be interesting to see how teams take that on, because you're right. It does hurt draft stock in some instances, too. Obviously, the Larrabee Tunsil incident wasn't his fault. It was a video that got bombed by somebody else that got posted. It wasn't all him. And 
Uh, Randy Gregory, the other big one, too, that had a lot of off-field issues that was a top-10 talent and ended up falling to the second round, having to be drafted by the Cowboys, uh, I think, late in the second round because of that, who was probably going to go in the top-10 otherwise. How about Ruggs? Yeah. How about Ruggs that's in jail right now? And he hasn't even gone through uh, the process of going to court and seeing how long he's going to go to jail for. This happened, what, two years ago? He's yep. still waiting for his court case because of COVID-19. So Henry Ruggs, who was supposed to be one of the best uh, top wide receiving prospects to come out of, uh, what do you play for, Alabama? Yep. And, and he, was, he, was, he was the number one wide receiver drafted in that class with right. C.D. Lamb and all those other guys. And he might never, he's definitely never going to play football again because he had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're cut from the Raiders, you know something is uh, Stop with, with that. That has nothing to do with it. it <laughs> no, no, really no, I know that, but still. It, it, yeah, that's when you know it. It's going to be very hard for I mean, you to get kid, back in the league. I mean, this kid, if you know the story about Henry Ruggs, he lost his best friend to a car accident. No, 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 no I know. I'm not He blames himself for, that, yeah. for not being in that car when, when his friend died in that car accident. Right. And when he was you, in high school. You definitely have to feel bad for a situation like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And it just, it, that's the I feel bad for the, the people that died in the other car that he hit. Yeah. there Or the person and the dog. And yeah, a person and a dog, and there was another one that was critically injured, too. Yeah. And uh, I think was still in the hospital for another six months after that. So mm. it was definitely definitely a sad note on that. And, again, Henry Ruggs, because that incident, I guess, didn't transpire, like what you were saying before the draft, his stock didn't fall. But that could happen with somebody like Jalen Carter in this case, too. Now I He's still, definitely going to fall. Yeah. Now I, I don't st- know how far. Yeah. I, now I Chicago. Still, I still think, luckily, luckily for, this, for this situation, it did happen kind of now rather than right before the draft, because I think that's what happened with Tunsil. When the incident that happened with Tunsil happened right before the draft. Two what did Tunsil before. do? He smoked weed? I know, I know, but at the time, that was Come thought on. of... I, I, I'm not saying it was The way deal. everybody blew that out of proportion. No, it wasn't even him. I know. It was somebody else that bombed the video. It and... doesn't matter. Who cares? He was smoking weed. He didn't get into a car accident. He didn't kill anybody. This isn't... Jeremy, uh, uh, the whole Tunsil thing, the fact that everybody was on his case... He didn't get into a car accident that killed a person and a dog. He didn't get into a a car accident and left the scene like Jalen Carter. Tonsil, all he did was smoke weed out of a mask. Everybody blew it out of proportion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there were only a few teams that actually knew that it wasn't his fault, and the Dolphins were one of them. That doesn't matter. The, the fact that everybody blew it out of proportion for something like that is ridiculous. Well, yeah, it was a team in media perception for some teams and a media perception for pretty much everybody. But the timing of it is it ended up what hurting. Jalen Carter, luckily for Did him— Did it really hurt him? He was still a first-round draft pick. No, I know that, but we were talking about it a couple weeks ago with like the differences. Like The first overall pick gets paid this much on a rookie contract, then it's two through five. Then it's like There were ranges we were going over, too. So he— all. Lost a lot of money on his rookie deal that way. And then he got overpaid by the Texans as it was. So they might have been able to cancel it out. But still, the, I think the point of it is, though. He might t- go to the Chiefs soon. So. Yeah, he might. The timing of it, though, for, for him was just unfortunate. <laughs> Whereas Jalen Carter, if he's able to get off on more of these charges. Because the, the plea that he had pleads not guilty. But he still could be charged with other things. Well, and that's the thing that they're hoping for. Jalen Carter pleading no contest, contest means that you accept the conviction but avoid factual admission of guilt. So he knows he did wrong, but he's he's saying that he was not guilty for what happened. So uh, it's very interesting how he moves forward. It's all about money. It's all about he didn't he didn't he didn't kill anybody. Right. And because he didn't kill anybody, I think they're going to push this under the rug for somebody like Jalen Carter. I, if it was anybody else, or if it was uh, a normal person like me and Speedy doing that, we go to jail. 
we go to jail for manslaughter or something like that. But because it's Jalen Carter and he is supposedly a big-time prospect, he's going to get off on this. I believe this. Uh, Snug uh, says, uh, I don't know if Micah Parsons was worth it. C.D. Lamb was a total bum. Yeah. Uh, Carl says, Bear signed Devontae Foreman to share carries with Herbert. Good signing. Yeah, not bad. One year, $3 million. Carter's uh, attorney, Kim Stevens, said that be resolving the matter. They'll, they'll be resolving the matter. The state is forever barred from bringing uh, additional charges against Carter. Police said that Leakroy's blood alcohol content was 0.197, almost triple the legal limit, and was drunk driving at 104 miles per hour. Carter worked out. Uh, for NFL scouts at Georgia's Pro Day yesterday and didn't finish all the position p- positional drills he participated in. Carter also weighed 323 pounds at the Pro Day measurements, nine pounds heavier uh, than what he played at at Georgia. Uh, Carter did not speak to the media or reporters yesterday following his Pro Day. So he didn't have such a great Pro Day. What does that do? Well, he didn't have a combine. He did not obviously work out at the combine, which hurt him, but not that bad because having your pro day opens up opportunity for you to show all these scouts and all these, uh, all these GMs and all these coaches what you could do on the field. And then going to your pro day nine pounds heavier than you did uh, playing at Georgia, that's scary. If you're, look, if you're a team right now drafting in the top five, top seven, and taking a chance on Jalen Carter. Now, Jalen Carter, as far as – Pass rushing talent. This guy, some people say, could be one of the best pass rushing talents we've seen come out in the last five to six years. That's how good he could be. Coming from Georgia, coming from the Dogs, winning a national championship. We've seen a lot of guys, a lot of defensive linemen come out from the Bulldogs and have very good NFL season, you know, uh, seasons and, and NFL careers. So I, I'm interested to see where he falls. Um, being that he is nine pounds heavier and he didn't have such a great pro, pro day and he didn't finish all the drills, which is kind of scary to any NFL team when they're risking an opportunity to draft a player in the top 10. And we don't know why he didn't finish the drills either. There was nothing listed of that. Out of shape. He, How's that? Right, out of shape. But also, because he didn't speak to the media, we didn't even know why they, they finished the drills either. So what is the reasoning for that? Is there maybe other uh, injuries that people were referencing the way they were referencing cramping maybe as a possibility because he was out of shape and whatever. But still, you got to be ready for that kind of thing. Carl says, uh, three NFL teams were in attendance. Bears were one of them. I think they, were, I think they are now out after that lame performance. I do believe the Bears, if if Jalen Carter is sitting there at nine, I, I could see Chicago picking him. Because to me, taking a chance of that magnitude for a talent that good, you can't pass that up. And and even if, if they decide to pass that up and he's there at 10, 11, and then maybe 12 or 13 for the Jets, if I'm the Jets at 13, I'm drafting Jalen Carter. I'm taking a chance sure. because you're adding a pass rusher of that magnitude on your line that could that could be there for the next nine or ten years. Yes, you don't know what he's going to do on and off the field, but maybe if he's put in the right situation with the right players, that means don't go to the Cowboys. Okay, <laughs> that's what it means. But uh, put himself in a, in put him in the right position to to not fail. It would be a great sign for a guy like Jalen Carter. But Jalen Carter is. Very talented, has the ability to do uh, everything you expect a defensive lineman to do. But uh, after hearing this story, and you don't know where it's going to fall, I expect him 
to be uh, really to be pushed under the rug. I believe this will be pushed under the rug um, because of who he is. Right. If he was one of us, uh, he'd probably go to jail. Right. So, and again, you, how far will he fall? Will be, what teams are going to want to take a chance on the talent that late? Because there's a lot of teams that definitely are going to use a player like that, like the Bears, who traded pretty much everybody on defense last year. The Raiders is what we talk about it too. They, they take the chances on players with off-field issues, and they're drafting at seven. So if they don't go after a quarterback, which they just signed Jimmy Garoppolo, so it doesn't seem like they are going to now. They might do that kind of thing at seven. And then, like you said, in the teens, at that point, it's a crapshoot. You might as well, hopefully, like the Cowboys, like Snug was saying before, with Micah Parsons, you hope these issues just go away, and all of a sudden, you got one of the most dominant forces in the league. And Micah Parsons has been that for the Cowboys since he's gotten there. Chargers grant Austin Eckler permission to seek a trade. This is crazy. This guy has been one of the best running backs in football for the last three years. He has been dominant. Last year, he played 17 games. This guy plays hurt. This guy plays the majority of games. He doesn't miss a lot of games. Besides 2020, he's played 16, 14, 16, 10, 16, 17. This guy plays the majority of the games. He stays healthy for a guy his size and a dominant force. He's not just a good running back. He can catch the ball. You can use him in a spread offense as a wide receiver. This guy has been as good as anybody in football. His rushing yards was 915. What what did he do as, as far as catching the ball? Was it 722? Yeah, and it was 600, uh, 688, I think, the year before. And he had 100, over 100 catches this year, too. 13 touchdowns. He has been as good as any running back in football. And yes... Looking at his size and he's getting up there in age, I think he's, what, 28 years old? Right, and he's on the last year of his contract. Yeah, who cares? The fact that the Chargers are thinking about parting ways with him or letting him go out there and and try to find a trade out there, the fact that they're granting him permission to go out there and try to find somebody that wants him is despicable. Mm -hmm. He has been your best offensive option for the last three seasons. And none of your wide receivers can stay healthy. I had to cut Keenan Allen just recently, too. So you're, you're dealing with Mike Williams and a bunch of young receivers that can't stay healthy. And you're a new offensive coordinator, too. Offensive new offensive box. coordinator, Justin Herbert, as a star, uh, a star quarterback that needs a guy like Austin Eckler because it takes pressure off of him. I, I don't understand this. I really don't. And if I was Austin Eckler, I'm absolutely trying to find somebody that will take me on. I need to get the hell away from this organization that don't treat. And we've seen this before. LaDainian Tomlinson, they do not treat their players, their veteran players, with any respect. They have never done that. And we heard the Green Bay Packers do the same thing as Aaron Rodgers spoke out for Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb, guys that were there for, for a significant amount of time and were big parts of the offense and big parts of that organization. And all of a sudden, you know what? <laughs> we don't need you anymore. We found your replacement. And we've seen teams like the Bengals have that, too, where they have these old-school ownerships, too, and they'll sign their players, but they'll only sign their players cheaply, too, and then they won't go after free agents to make the teams better, and they just want to stay loyal to that. And the Chargers, like you were saying, are the opposite. They're so cheap. And there's a reason uh, Chaz and I like to make fun of the ownership, especially that's the Spanos family now. It's just they. It seems like they have to evolve, and they started to do that last offseason with the big free agents they signed, and then they traded for Khalil Mack. They gave him a new contract, and all of a sudden, now they're trying to trade Austin Eckler and cut Keenan Allen. It just makes no sense. Eckler is 27 years old and is entering 
His final year of a four-year contract, Eckler's cap hit is seven point. Point seven five million. So you have a guy, you have a running back that's making seven million. A running back of his magnitude should be making fourteen, thirteen million. That's how good he is. Eckler has led all running backs in combined rushing and receiving touchdowns each of the last past two years, with twenty in two thousand twenty one and eighteen in two thousand twenty two. Eckler has never had a thousand rushing yard season, but has had nine hundred and eleven and nine hundred and fifteen rush yards in the last past two seasons. Eckler has had over 600 receiving yards in three of his last four seasons and has led uh, has had 70 or more catches in three of those four seasons as well. Eckler has an average of over four yards a carry every season as a starter in his career, but has never had more than 206 carries in a season. Uh, the Chargers currently have a twenty point two eight million in cap space. So far, their only free agents move has been signing Vikings All Pro linebacker Eric Kendricks to a two year thirteen point five million dollar contract. The Chargers have drafted running backs in each of the pa- of the last three NFL drafts with Joshua Kelly, Larry Roundtree, and Isaiah Spiller. The Chargers will have to pay Justin Herbert soon as he's at one of his last years of his rookie contract with still a potential for a fifth-year option. So there you go with Austin Eckler. I I disagree what San Diego is doing uh, with well, L.A. I'm sorry. I always call him San Diego, but I remember him as the San Diego uh, Chargers. And I'm, I'm sure our guest, uh, John Fina, would agree with me. Everybody calls him San Diego. But... Uh, the L.A. Chargers are put in a really bad position, and, and, and Austin Eckler's put in a really bad position because this guy deserves the extension. I, I understand, uh, and I, Jeff would be one of those guys, and everybody would say, you don't pay running backs. You give them, you give them that, second, that second contract. If you're going to extend it for four years, after those four years, being that you're at 28, 29 years old, you don't want to overpay running backs because you can find a running back in the sixth and fifth and fourth round, and they're just as good. I disagree. When you have an, uh, an ability like Austin Eckler has at catching the ball and running the ball, and he's multidimensional on the football field, you want a guy like that on your team. And by the way, he's a good blocker for his size as well. So mm-hmm. is this, this is a terrible story, a terrible move for the L.A. Chargers, and they should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking to former Bills and Cardinals offensive tackle John Fina. Here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mounts. 631-672-3108 is the number. You are listening to the Sports Loud Mounts. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. All the listings are in the menu box. Check out all our articles that are posted every single week. And ladies and gentlemen, listen to the Sports Lab Mouths that airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. I'd like to thank Jonathan Williams, uh, Washington Commanders running back, for joining us. And now our second guest of the night. We are now talking to former Bills and Cardinals offensive tackle John Fina. John, what's up, man? 
Hey, hey, fellas. Thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you on. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, now that you're retired, you want to enjoy golf and just, you know, I, I understand when you're a retired ex-NFL player, you just like to enjoy your family and get away from it. Am I right or wrong? Uh, Oh, you're wrong. Just like you, I work for a living, right? So my interest in podcasts, of course, is to make very little money, increase my frustration, and swirl the drain. So that's why I'm here with you. Well, uh, I, I would also think that you're upset that your Bills uh, got eliminated last year in the playoffs when everybody had them as the favorites to come out of the AFC. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty rough. I, I think a lot of my close friends – who are uh, big Bells Mafia supporters, you know, there was just this pall over the entire fan base, you know, just kind of really dejected. And I think I, I became detached almost like I did when I was a player and the season ended, you know, for a month. I didn't want to think about the team, didn't want to think about the game. <laughs> it was awful. I was, it was, and I was there for it. I witnessed wow. it. And God, it, it was painful. Just, it was like a slow death watching they were uninspired and i know that they they've they really had to come up against a lot of adversity during the season i mean the the list was as long as your arm and i think in the fans minds we all thought hey you know what it, it's just going to continue they're going to overcome they're going to see this as a challenge they're going to get up for the next game and i think obviously because we don't play and we aren't in the locker room you know our inspiration from all the negativity might have you know, lasted a little bit longer than theirs. And I don't know, man. I, and I don't want to speculate. I heard some <laughs> things I would never have said as a player, but as a fan, I just, I'm wholly disappointed in the last game. Yeah. I, I was always one of those people that was not as high on them during the regular season because I thought they were more of a talent driven team, but they had to overcome the adversity. Then over a sudden throughout that end of that year, they were overcoming adversity greatly. And it was just kind of definitely disappointing. So uh, the, the bills this year, the, the football culture in Buffalo and when you played as well, those fans have been uh, one of the craziest fan bases. So what were those experiences like when you were a player and now covering them, what you've seen now? Well, it was always great as a player. I mean, the city of Buffalo embraced us players, and I lived in the city. So whether I went to a restaurant or a bank or, you know, dry cleaners, you know, you're de facto celebrity. And people were really, really kind and, and warm and inviting. I, I think the players now in a place like Buffalo might even have it a little bit better because they're able to, with social media, engage with the fans. And because it's such a tight-knit community, you know, there's a real back and forth. So I know that even amongst my group, when when uh, a player will like or retweet something that they put out there, you know, they get they get really excited. You know, in my day, we didn't really have that opportunity to engage on a regular basis. You were just kind of battling to put your image out there as a player and a person against the media and their three hour long, you know, loudmouth radio talk show. Hmm. Right. You didn't have a way to to fight back or push back or show your value as a human being. And now players have that. And I think it works exceedingly well in a city like Buffalo. We are talking to former Bills and Cardinals offensive tackle, John Fina. Bill, when you look at the Bills and you look at, obviously, Josh Allen, the ability that this kid has, uh, he's a mobile quarterback that could throw on the run. He has probably the best arm in football. Some people would say the best and the strongest arm they've ever seen. What is, what is it like watching this guy on the field play at this, this ability that he has? Well, beyond his ability, right, beyond the fact that he's arguably top two, top three quarterback in the league, 
for us fans, which I am now dedicated fan, you, we went through a drought like you you can't imagine. If you're a true Buffalo Bills <laughs> fan, the pain was long and enduring and, and challenging. So just the idea of having a guy out there who is magic in his fingertips and can create with his arms and his legs, you know, it's 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 invigorating. And I think at the same time, some fans' expectations of winning it all or going all the way can get a little bit ahead of the fact that there's, you know, 33 other guys on the other team that are that are pushing back against that. But all in all, it's been an incredible experience just being a fan of the Buffalo Bills now. And I love when I'm in Tucson, Arizona, I'm driving around, I see a bumper sticker, Buffalo Bills. And, you know, I'm always trying to roll my window <laughs> down and honk and give them the thumbs up. You know, it's it's it's, it's really given me a great uh, sense of community now that I'm sort of back into the fold, if you will. So you playing offensive line, we've seen a lot of changes with the offensive line position from when you played to now a lot of more zone blocking type offensive linemen, speed type offensive linemen. Have you seen that with both the NFL and with the Bills try to develop their game around those concepts? Well, I'm not sure what the damn run, run game philosophy is for the Buffalo Bills. That's one of the biggest problems that I, you know, just continued to battle in my mind this whole season. Only because it was in my mind, because nobody would listen to me if I called them. Uh, so, <laughs> with respect to the, we we ran a lot of zone with Thurman Thomas and Jim Kelly. That that was our bread and butter, and we did have more athletic, uh, I think, offensive linemen. Whereas many of the teams when I played were big pounders and grinders, and a lot of uh, what people like to say pin and pull. Now I say angle or power uh, scheme. I, I think it it makes the game more exciting, right? I, I think that the evolution of the college game has really put the creativity into the NFL. Now it has its limit. We've all seen that it's limits, but with that type of excitement, with those uh, wide open offenses, I think you, you know, you, you can't have the big 350 offensive linemen that can't move. So I like the evolution of the game to an extent um, but I think the college game is just kind of, I think it's gone a little overboard, meaning with respect to the quarterback position, they don't really develop, uh, quarterbacks for the sort of NFL prototype. And it's, I'm, I'm not sure where it's going to go. I, would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. It, absolutely. Okay. And, and you look at the quarterbacks wow. now, it's completely different. Uh, these quarterbacks are much more mobile. They have better arm strength. These guys are they're like robots now from, from when you played. Jim Kelly was a great quarterback, and Dan Marino was a great quarterback, and, and you can name all the greats. Vinny Testaverde was a great quarterback, but uh, you know when you see some of these quarterbacks, the way they throw the ball, the way they move inside and out of the pocket, they're unbelievable. They're unstoppable. If they played in the 90s, obviously the rules were different, and the corners could actually you know, tug on the wide receiver. And, and get away with it, it's completely different. It's more open for the offensive side of the ball than the defensive side of the ball. So it's completely different in those days, in the 90s. It was all about the defense and the running game. Now it's all about the offense and the wide receivers and the quarterbacks. It's all about them now. Well, it's a fans game, too. You want to appeal to the people that are buying tickets and, you know, buying gear. So, you know, nobody wants to see another 10-7 to 7 Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. even though the Super Bowl tends to be so low scoring other than uh, this year. But uh, I think that 
I like that about the game. You know, I don't want to see a defensive struggle. So in that way, I am a fan. I, I feel bad for cornerbacks. Uh, you know, you can you can't get away with holding anymore. You can't even get away with heavy petting. That's what we <laughs> saw in the Super Bowl in the last three minutes, right? I mean, that to me was a just a completely ridiculous call that changed the uh, outcome of the game. Hundred percent. So you played with a guy that was a very innovative offensive coach for his time in Marv Levy, and now have influenced a lot of these coaches today, a lot of offensive gurus, as they call him. So what was he like as a coach on and off the field? You know, Marv had a couple of philosophies that really appealed to me, and I think a lot of the players, you know, in retrospect, whether they didn't understand it then, get it now. And and Marv, literally, you come in and, you know, I'm a rookie. I'm sitting in that big meeting room for the first time. I got my notebook out because I'm a nerd and I'm a studier <laughs> and I take notes like crazy. And he comes in, he's like, uh, I got two rules. And I'm like, really? That's it? Two rules? And first rule was be on time. And the second rule was be a good citizen. And I was like, that's it? Like, I don't even need to write that down. Even a dope like me can remember that. <laughs> and Marv's philosophy was, look, you're an adult you're a man. I'm an adult. I'm a man. I'm going to treat you like that. You know, I'm, I'm going to be your coach. I'm going to be friendly. I'm going to be approachable. And he was, I mean, Marv was unwavering and unvaried in his approach to everyone in the locker room, whether they were a holder or a star pass rusher. Marv was, Marv is like the epitome of, you know, the type of person you want to be around. There's no, there's no backstabbing. There's no backbiting. There's no you know, talking behind you <laughs> just comes right up to you. And uh, it was an amazing experience having Marv. We are talking to former Bills and Cardinals offensive tackle, John Fina. Now, John, you look at the game in the 90s, there was no cap. So uh, you had powerhouse teams like the Cowboys being built in the San Francisco 49ers. Do you like the fact that the cap goes up every single year and you have to be within the cap and there's no guarantee money to players? Do you like the way the NFL has structured that? Oh, man. I mean, you know, any time in our podcast group, uh, we start talking about the cap, my freaking eyes just start going back into the back <laughs> of my head. I don't understand it. I lean on people uh, within my group to explain it to me only because there's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. I do love the fact that players are getting paid more, seemingly, uh, that their opportunities to move around are greater, you know, in the early nineties, it was still, uh, I think they used to call it plan B players were locked in guys that should have made a lot more money back in the day, probably had their income restricted by two, three, four, five million dollars. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the biggest problem with the cap right now is these, the quarterback contracts. And then you end up doing this restructuring and you kick the can down the road. And then you end up in a position like my beloved Buffalo bills are right now. Like they're kind of frozen trying to figure out how to create cap space at the expense of the future to win right now. And eventually the, the whole, you know, house of cards has to fall apart. I was listening to you when you were talking about Austin Eckler and I 90% agree with you, but if he's asking for money that they can't give him because of they've only got 24 million, they have other signings to make. Uh, they got Joshua Kelly from UCLA where my son plays football then, you know, maybe it's time to move on just by virtue of the damn cap. Mm. What, what are you going to do? But the long and short of it is players make more money now 
and that's a damn good thing. Quarterbacks make more money. Uh, I, I mean, it's you have to be at the strong positions. If you're if you're a corner, if you're an offensive tackle, left left tackle, or if you're obviously a defensive lineman that can get to the quarterback and, and you get like 15, 20 sacks a, a season, you're going to get paid. The running backs don't get paid. Usually safeties don't get paid except Jamal Adams because he's an idiot. Uh, wide receivers get paid now. It, 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 if you look at if you look at the league, hey, it, hey, 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 hey. even the base salaries based on your years of service go up every year. Yeah, but it's so, terrible. It, it is terrible. Look at look, my look at the special season, teams. In my eleventh season, the you know the least they could pay me was like three fifty. Now in your eleventh season, the least they can probably pay you is eight hundred. I don't know what the number is, but I'll tell you the guys that are on the practice squad now. Back in my day, probably made close to 50 or 60. And now if you're on the team through the full 17 or 18, you know, you're cracking in over 200 grand. So, look, I get it in comparison to what Von Miller and Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs are making. You know, Devin Singletary's salary looks a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. But, damn it, it's a market economy, right? Look at what happened to the running back market this year. It's totally settled. Right. They're waiting. I think it's just for Tennessee. Uh, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry. Right. They're waiting for him to set the market. But everything is going to be below that. And that look, say what you want. I think by and large, everybody is doing better than they were. In the 90s. There's no question, but it's a different world now. Obviously, the taxes are up. Everything. Everything's expensive. Food, cars, gas. Everything is up. In hey, the hey, 90s. Don't get me started. Hey, don't get me started. I'm just saying. I mean, in the 90s, gas was like 90 cents a gallon. Now, now if you go to a gas a gas station, it's like four dollars. So hey, I, I don't know what to tell you. Drive less, carpool more. Uh, <laughs> get know, a bus, go to Bulldog. Up smart. You know, even the trains are expensive. Find, find your local uh, rancher and get your eggs fresh. You know, Buffalo <laughs> eggs you are eight dollars a you know cart. Carton. I'm sure ten minutes from the Buffalo Bill Stadium, there's like thirteen people with chickens and selling eggs. <laughs> and if you're a Buffalo Bill, they'll probably sell them to you for four dollars a dozen. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the I don't know if you saw the tweet yesterday when Jordan Poyer uh, resigned. He said, yeah. and then, it was a Micah Hyde quote tweeted him back and said, uh, "You still have to deal with the New York State taxes. Enjoy." <laughs> yeah, well, uh, don't get me started. We're going to keep this thing, uh, you know, no politics, no, right? I don't know. I don't want to get into politics. I'm not no. a politician, so no, no, no. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just referencing the tweet. I don't know if you saw it, but you know, yeah, but that is pretty funny. Actually, <laughs> it, it is pretty funny. So uh, my next question, uh, I want to go back to what you were playing with. Uh, uh, with Jim Kelly, obviously one of the iconic quarterbacks of his era, what was he like on and off the field? So what you loved about Jim was he, he's, the, he's the guy with the cigar in his mouth and the firearm, you know, in Vietnam leading you into battle. You know, not the guy who's standing behind, you know, with a walkie-talkie telling you where to go. Uh, and you, you had to admire Jim for that. He was a battler. And, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that you'd tape it up and ignore the pain because you wanted to be on the field with him. Uh, He was he was a he was a player's teammate, super good guy, uh, a lot of fun to be around. Jesus, sounds like I'm talking about him like he's dead. (laughs) Uh, You know, I've had a chance to, to connect with him a little bit over the past couple of years at his tournament at various games. And just a, just an amazing guy. I, I really uh, I'm blessed to have played with the guys I played with, 
And, you know, when you're playing with, like when you're working with people, you know, you get kind of get rubbed the wrong way every now and again, a couple of things happen and you hold on to that a little bit, you know, those tiny little stupid peccadillos years and years go by. You don't even think about them anymore. You were a first round draft pick, John. And uh, to be a first round draft pick now, you got to have a combine that just really stands out. You got to be a world beater in college. And you see the transition of the way the game is when you played and now. Uh, now, obviously, the way these some of these guys play, and you see some of these these defensive linemen that are running a forty in like four five four six. You got a three hundred and fifty pound behemoth running it in a four six or whatever it is. It's ridiculous. They run in a wide receiver speed. What are your thoughts to the talent, the speed, the athletic ability of some of these players now than they were when you were playing? Oh well, let me unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I was a first-round pick because I could juggle and sing the national anthem. Put <laughs> me over the top at the combine. They're like, "This guy's amazing!" <laughs> Game six, you're singing. Uh, the talent level has definitely increased, right? But I think what you'll find is that some of the translational skills uh, don't translate, or some of the skills don't translate. You know, uh, people would ask me, oh, how fast you run the 40? And I said, look, I'm not running a 40-yard. If I'm running a 40-yard dash, there's an interception. And my head's on a swivel. I'm not <laughs> going to get blindsided, right? Uh, so some of, the, some of the combine is just a representation of how hard have you trained. Did you get out of shape between the end of the season and whenever the combine was, February or March? Right? February, right? Mm -hmm. Just happened. Yep. So – Yes, there, there's greater and greater talent. I think a smart thing they did was reduce the draft down to, is it seven rounds? Yep. And I think it gives better opportunity for guys who are UDFAs to get on a roster where they fit better. Right. Like if their agents are good, get them in the right position. So I, I like that about the draft. Again, you know, straight line run for a defensive lineman is, yeah, it's cute to look at, but. I, you know, the movement drills are really what matters. And, the, you know, the guys, it's the nutrition. It's the money that's invested into these colleges, the way they use it. And then, of course, it always boils down to the dedication of the player. And I think more and more kids in college mm -hmm. understand that they have a chance. Now, getting them to play football in high school is a challenge. So you got to play against the – Biggest sack guy of all time, Bruce Smith, in practice mm. a lot. He was the left tackle, him as the right end. So what were those battles like in practice? And what was he like on and off the field? Was he that intimidating trash talker that everyone thinks he is? Uh, so first first question uh, it goes back to Marv Levy. Thank you, Marv Levy, for in-season practices being like a mirror drill. Because I had all of Bruce Smith I could tolerate in training camp. I mean, that guy just worked me to death. It was probably some of the more embarrassing moments in my life. You know, like worse than you, uh, Speedy Petey trying to cross the street, checking out a girl and falling on your face and having your hand run over by a garbage truck. No, I don't think uh, he checks out girls. <laughs> be that as it may, guys, girls, either way. I'm just kidding. So, fortunate for me, I didn't have to have those battles. It was only relegated to training camp because Bruce was a beast and a funny guy in the locker room, a really, really good teammate. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, he, he was a leader in the locker room, vocally, physically, obviously. It's pretty amazing to be able to point at a bunch of guys in yellow jackets and say, yeah, I, those guys were in my locker room. Yeah, I talked to those guys on a regular basis. That's pretty damn cool. I'm not going to lie. We are talking to former Bills and Cardinals offensive tackle John Fina. John, the East is so wide open now. You have the Jets possibly getting Aaron Rodgers. He, he spoke on the Pat McAfee show. He's probably heading to the Jets until they figure out compensation. It's probably going to happen. But you have Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. You have Miami hitting Jalen Ramsey. And, and if Tua comes back, they're going to be a world beater. And then even New England, even though I think they're the weakest team out of the four, could, could you imagine that? Tom Brady and Bill Belichick dominated the division for almost 20 years. Now there's no more Tom Brady. It's just Bill Belichick. And you have Macaroni and cheese over there, Macaroni Jones, which uh, we heard yesterday. That's what they call him now. I, I, I mean, who would have thought that now Buffalo and the Jets could be fighting to win that division going into this season? Well, honestly, uh, I'm not, I'm not afraid of Aaron Rodgers. I'm just, I'm just not, um, I'm not, I've never been a, a huge fan. Really? Uh, I, I don't know. I just, you know, there's something about him. Uh, I, you know, I, I admire certain parts of his game. I don't think he's the guy to get the Jets there. They have incredible defense. They've drafted so well on defense. They've they've really played well on offense. The Bills gave one up to them uh, this season, which, you know, was, again, not a very good performance by Buffalo. And, you know, there's a difference, right? Did you play poorly or did the other team kind of beat you into submission? And uh, I think the Bills sort of gave it up. I'm not terribly worried about the Jets. Miami, I think Tua is the big uh, question mark right there. I just don't know what happens with that kid. I I, I love the draft pick for Miami because I thought that it was going to be his posterior capsule of the hip that would give out first. But the concussion thing, that that could be a sideliner. I don't know. Uh, I guess they're being pretty quiet about that. I haven't seen any news. And I, Belichick is always scary. You know, I, I'm, I think Mac Jones is a serviceable quarterback. I think he's got to get the right mix. You know, he's, he's a guy who's always going to have to spread it around. He's going to need four or five guys that have three to five catches a game and very well game planned. And I, they're not going to blow anybody out, but I think they can, they can pick people apart if they do it right. And, and uh, you know, I, th- I still see it's the bills um, probably the bills, new England, and who knows the jets in Miami fight it out for third position. Hmm. Really? You still think new England's the second, second best team in that division. I disagree. I don't think new England's any good. I don't, I don't think they're the second best team, but I think that's how they'll finish. I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I, I think they have a lack of talent and it's going to prove that this year. I, I, I like Bill Belichick, but again, I, we have to see if Aaron Rodgers goes to the jets. And if he does, I understand you don't like him, but Aaron Rodgers is still elite quarterback. And when you have an elite quarterback with the weapons that the jets have and, and the defense that the Jets have, why couldn't the Jets win the division? They could absolutely win the division. Now, Buffalo, they lost some players this offseason. Edmonds is a good player. It's not like they, you know, hey, we, we lost a guy like Edmonds and we're going to be better. Uh, over the last couple of years, and, and remember, Josh Allen wasn't the same quarterback when, the, when they played, when Huff hit him in the Jets game in the fourth quarter. So uh, we, we have to see if Josh Allen is 100% healthy. What happened in this offseason? I know we didn't have any surgery. Uh, yeah, he has I'm, I'm elbow not problems. about Josh coming back. I think that's, sure? probably, a, I think that's probably an injury that's going to you know, self 
Medicaid mm. fixed itself pretty well. Um, your other point, though, about Edmonds, I mean, it's a loss right now if you – if your plan is to maintain the same type of defensive philosophy, I think that Edmonds is a huge loss, mm-hmm. right? But Leslie Frazier is gone. Yep. Sean McDermott is taking over the reins. I don't know what that means functionally, if somebody else is going to be calling the defense or he will, because uh, I don't think you can really balance both roles, uh, head coach and D coordinator. Maybe you can. I don't know. Uh, with today's technology, maybe it's easier. But I'll say this. If the philosophy of the defense changes, then I think the Edmonds departure means less, meaning Edmonds spanned a huge portion of the center of the field in pass protection, and he was reliable as a tackler in at the second level. He wasn't utilized up front. So if we are going to change the philosophy and be more within three yards of the line of scrimmage with our linebackers, more downhill, a little bit more press coverage, a little bit more man-to-man, uh, I think you, I, I think it won't show up as much. Hmm. That's that's my take. Interesting. You like it? Interesting. Hmm. It's an yeah. interesting take. So my question is about a lot of the Bills fans were criti- <laughs> are criticizing. <Shoot. laughs> a lot of Bills fans criticizing Sean McDermott uh, for his play calling and his, some of his coaching decisions down the stretch, and a lot of people are worried that uh, maybe he's on the hot seat this year. Do you think that way with him? I don't. Uh... It's hard to be on the hot seat when you had 17 straight disappointing seasons and then a guy comes in and you make the playoffs, what, four to five years or three to whatever the hell it is. Yeah, I mean, every year besides 2018. Yeah, look, anybody, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine being on the hot seat, turning a franchise around in the way that he has. I, I don't see what good it does, but but that doesn't absolve him and the coaches for some of the game planning and philosophy that we've seen in the postseason for the past three years. But, you know, it's like, Hey, we might as uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to get political here. <laughs> it's almost like the government, like anyone in government that commits a crime doesn't even get a hand slap. I mean, these <laughs> people that are, so why should you fire the coaches from a team that's going to the playoffs for you know one bad performance it doesn't make any sense because there's always like all right we can get better we can get better we're so close we're so close now go away Mm -hmm. i don't i don't that doesn't that doesn't ring true to me john the the whole josh allen rule that they added to the nfl playoffs going into this season everybody was looking forward to seeing that rule uh, be implemented into the game uh, the way everybody saw it to be in Kansas when they play Kansas City, Buffalo played Kansas City a year a year ago, and then there was no overtime games in the playoffs, and it, it kind of pushed away the opportunity to see uh, two you know two teams fight it out and try to score touchdowns over and over and over again in in, in the uh, in the playoffs in, in overtime. What are your thoughts to that rule? Do you do you think they should put that in the regular season, not just in the playoffs? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a rule for the playoffs, why wouldn't you for the regular season? Mm. It seems silly to me. And is the reason they don't use the college format because we're a 17 game season and you, you know, you've got to worry about the health of the players they are not 18 to 21 anymore. But it seems like the college format is so much smarter, Mm. you know, started at the 30, you score a touchdown, you can kick an extra point. Then the second time you score, you got to go for two. I mean, 
that seems that seems like a better format. And I, I, tell me why they don't do it. I don't think the long format overtime rules make any sense, frankly. Hmm. There's, it's almost like, yeah, the, the, the Josh Allen rule, if you want to call it that, is an improvement, but I'm not sure that we know that yet. And you would think, too, of the league that want to encourage offense, too. You would think a college football-like shootout back and forth would encourage more scoring, too. So I'm surprised oh God, they don't I, do it. I love the college, I love the college, I love the college overtime. Yeah. Like, I'll watch I'll watch two teams I've never heard of before on, on SportsCenter. Hell, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it could be like Idaho Vandals and the Eastern Washington Screaming Eagles. <laughs> I'm watching that. Big Sky football <laughs> shout-out. There you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't have expected that there in this show at all, but here we are. So I, I wanted to ask you, you being somebody that uh, went to college in Arizona that drafted by the Bills, so that's like two biggest uh, weather differentials, too. When you played your first snow game, like, was that experience – what was that experience like as a whole for you be, being somebody that played in the desert in college? You know, th- this, this is going to blow your mind, but I was only ever in, like, two snow games. Wow. Oh. In 10 years. Wow. 10 years, but it was damn cold. It was damn cold. Uh, you know, it's, it, what, what you think about that is it's not the, the game time that really matters, you know, because once you're in uniform and you take that first hit, you know, you're, you're, you're ready. You know, you don't think about the cold anymore, but it's, it's every day and every hour before kickoff that you're, you know, trying to get from the, your house to the, the facility back home and you're walking outside and you're like, holy crap, it's cold <laughs> and it's snowing like mad. So that's really the part that was, was uh, challenging, you know, just that it's unrelenting. Uh, the beauty of me going to Buffalo is my parents are from Rochester, New York, and I've got so much family there. It's only 60 miles away. So it was an incredible 10 year family reunion by virtue of me getting drafted by the Buffalo Bills, it brought my huge family and my extended family together in Western New York. Like, uh, you know, I never could have dreamed a better scenario. Hmm. John, before we let you go quickly, who do you have? If, if do you play the bracket, do you play March Madness? Uh, I don't. Mm-hmm. I do root for Arizona. Mm-hmm. They got eliminated. Uh, That's why I didn't bring it up. I'm like, I'll, I'll let you get away with this one this time. So, uh, so I, I was talking to a friend today who went to ASU, which is our rival. And uh, he's, I work with him in business. And he's like, yeah, I didn't want to call you today. And he's like, why? I said, why not? He goes, because your cats just got spanked by Princeton. And I was like, you know, when I was at Arizona, football players, we were second-class citizens to basketball. So no sweat off of me, right? I love those guys, but I was always a little bit like, oh, new shoes for them. Oh, look at that. <laughs> you know, and I, true story, you know, back in the day when we men wore jock straps, I don't think they wear them anymore. And it, <laughs> you know, connected at the bottom with the two elastic things. So my jock strap was so old that it detached. And I went over to the equipment guys and I said, hey, uh, I threw it away. I went to the equipment guys. I'm like, hey, I need a new jock. And they're like, uh, why? And I'm like, because the thing broke from the thing. <laughs> the thing broke they're like, from the where thing. is it? I'm like, I threw it away. And they're like, we can't give you another one. And I'm like, why not? Because you got to give us the, the the garbage one. And I was like, wait, you think I'm collecting jock straps and selling them out of the trunk of my car? I mean, just give me a new jock strap. So, you know what? The basketball team loses. You know, it sucks. But uh, I'm not... Look, uh, there's, I'm not hanging myself over it. 
<laughs> and and frankly, I, I'm kind of one of those people. Like if I dig into something, then I'm I'm totally in and I'm addicted. So it's okay that March Madness is over for me. Now I don't even have to watch any of it. Uh, you, you could just root for Arizona State to lose tomorrow, then they're even. They could lose to nice. Iowa State, and you're, I guess, kind of even. But... If you yeah. feel comfortable, I'll send you a brand new jock strap. Okay? Uh, do they even sell those anymore? <laughs> I mean, well, they have like underwear cups now. So I'm, I'm MMA sure I got my, I'm pretty sure I got my own chonies now. Okay? <laughs> I'm all set with chonies. You guys don't need to hook me up with chonies. There you go. I mean, you have a wife. You got a family. So why not? I do. I got four beautiful children. There you I go, got man. an Italian exchange student. Ooh. I'm living out here in the desert. I'm having a good time. There uh, you go. Work for a, a global corporation in data encryption, data security. Look keeping at you. Companies safe from hackers. Hmm. So it's uh, it's going pretty well. I got a awesome podcast there you go with my partner joe miller it's called the off tackle show with john fina uh, it's seasonal we do a couple of pods you know for the the draft or the combine or preseason kind of stuff uh but i'm uh, i'm on twitter at john fina and i like to cut it up i like to engage with people because uh it's fun man we want to get a ride around the earth once mm. and uh you know, I like I like to see what people think and say and do, even when it even when I'm diametrically opposed to their opinion. Ooh, I like that. All I have to do is scroll. There you go. I want to ask just quickly before we, before we let you go. The, the, the shirt the, is that a Scottish Bills shirt? Scottish Bills fans? Yeah. So oh, that? What happened? Oh, I did the wrong thing. So <laughs> I have uh, made it my hobby when I go around the country to try to go to every Bills backers bar I can. Ah. And I've been collecting T-shirts. So I got Orange County Bills backers, Albuquerque Bills backers, L.A. Um, I've got the uh, Vancouver Bills backers, the East Coast Bills backers. So I got about, I don't know, seven or eight shirts now. And they're really great, man. <laughs> Scottish Bills backers. It's pretty cool. Well, nice. we like you, man. And we definitely want to get you on the show again. Fantastic, fantastic interview. You gave us so much information. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying we get a second date? Yeah, why I've not? a lot of podcasts. And people promise they're going to call the next day. And they listen, never call, man. Listen, we're not a podcast. Actually, we're a live radio show, 103.9 FM. We would love to get you on again. I, I think you're fantastic. The inside stuff that you gave us, not only with the bills, but your career and and some information that, you know, some things I disagree, but all in all, that's that's the way sports is. You can't agree to everything. You could disagree and have a good conversation about it. So we really appreciate everything, John. I know you're a busy guy, and congratulations to your job, your kids, your healthy Italian exchange student. I mean, you're you're kicking butt, man. And uh, Thanks. And I, I think it's wonderful. And keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Hey, I'll say this. Apologies for calling you a podcast. I'm <laughs> well, you're not apologizing. I'm happy to come back anytime. Absolutely. I think I accidentally gave you my cell phone number. So now <laughs> I'm, uh, unless I change it, and I haven't changed it in 20 years. I guess I'm stuck saying I'll be back on the show. <laughs> well, we All would right, love got... to get you back on the show. So don't worry about that. Don't worry. We, we, we'll bring you on for the first Bill's Jets meeting so you can oh, fire okay. him up. <laughs> oh, you'll definitely fire me up. Especially oh, if yeah. Aaron Rodgers is a starting quarterback for the Jets. Well, you know, I only said that because I know you're a Jets fan. Oh, there it is. Well, he's actually a Giant fan. I'm a Jet fan. so I'll, I'll say this. Yeah. Uh, you gave us a great we'll gift to Brian Dable. I really feel bad that those freaking Jets can't like come up with a decent logo. Mm. 
<laughs> and the, the green I'm okay with, man. But, geez, they just can't figure out that logo. Wow. And I think just like Miami, the colors mm. of the Miami Dolphins Fantastic. will prevent them from ever going deep into the postseason. <laughs> and the fact that the Jets have no logo, same thing. Wow. At least the Jets won a Super Bowl. <laughs> I think the, the year I was born, and 20 years before you were born, God, you're, you're hanging on, baby. You're hanging on. Hey, listen. I've watched, I've watched, I've watched a lot of bad football over these years. So hopefully, uh, you know, if they had a quarterback and, uh, uh, you know, they put this team together again like they did last year, uh, the Jets could have a team. They could have a team that can go all the way to the AFC title game. We'll see. I, I, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees with football. Uh, it, every single year it could be something different. And when you watch Patrick Mahomes and some of these young quarterbacks play in the AFC, it's just even J- Josh Allen. You want to see development. We've seen a lot of great developing young quarterbacks, the Joe Burrow, the, and obviously Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Uh, it, it's just absolutely loaded in the AFC. But if Lamar Jackson even stays in the AFC. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But, John, thank you, man. We really appreciate you. Fellas, take care. Have a great weekend. You too. We were just talking to former Bills and Cardinals offensive tackle, John Fina. He's fantastic. He really is. Good oh, get, yeah. Speedy. Good oh. gets. Oh, yeah. We're definitely bringing him back for Bill's Jets. We'll, we'll, we'll reunite it like we did with Pete Bursis. Oh, Pete. <laughs> well, Pete's asking us questions on social media about the Jets now when, the, when Minnesota plays them or everything like that. But I, I love Pete, too. Pete is fantastic. Really oh, he is. fired you up about the Jets, too. Yeah, but you want to know something? I, I see Snug saying I'm, I'm, I'm king of the Jet homers. That's not true. Speedy, how many times did I pick the Jets to lose this year? Uh, I would say probably about half the yeah. time. I, 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 didn't, I thought the Jets were going to win at best eight games. They won seven. That's what I said. I said it, on a good season, they win nine to ten. That's what I said. If they win 10, they make the playoffs, which I was right. I mean, a 10-win team gets you into the playoffs in the AFC. But this year, the Jets win seven, and they, they lost their last six games. When was the last time you could remember a Jet team losing the last six games of the season? Yeah. It never happens. Right. The 08 Jets were 8-3, and three and then they lost four out of five. Yeah, it just never happens. Seven so. games in a row is, yeah. is something six you don't— games. Yeah, six, six games. Six games in a row is something you usually don't see ever. Yeah. And it happened twice in the same season. It wasn't the Jets. It was also the Titans, too. They were 7-3, and three and they lost yeah. their last seven games. Yeah, so I am not a Jet homer. I'm an honest Jet fan. I want to see the Jets do good just as much— much as you, Snug, are a Patriots homer, and you think, oh, the Patriots, oh, Tom Brady, oh, the GOAT, the GOAT. And there's I mean, way too much break. positivity in the comment section about Snug and give the Chargers, too. So. By <laughs> the way, when this deal goes through, your buddy, our friend, Jeff, will be eating dog doo-doo. So enjoy that, Snug, as uh, you watch your buddy boy or your buddy boy, uh, you know, eat a little bit of dog poop. And I'm not taking shots at Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, listen. The fact that Jeff made that bet, okay? The fact that he made that bet, hey, you know, he he made the bet, and he's going to live by the bet. I respect him for it because that's what you do. You make a bet, you live by the bet. I do that too. If I lose a bet, I live by it. And you're so funny. I had Mikey C on the show. I I was listening to to him today. He called me this morning, and he was talking about the show because he was listening bits and pieces of the show last night. And he was telling me, well, I like this, and I didn't like that. And as soon as the beef came on, I I, I couldn't listen to it anymore, whatever the hell he was saying. You know, um, Mike was telling me all the stuff, and he says, I'm always right. And I've always – so we made a bet. And I think – I forget what our bet was, but – 
I, I, did, I don't even think we finished the bet. Huh. I, I don't even think. It was something with Darren Waller, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So, but uh, we have a bet, and I think uh, Mikey is wrong. So, so I'm guessing because he was complaining about the beef, he he liked the Darren Waller trade. Well, no, no, he he said when I said yesterday, I thought Denver, Dar- going into the season, Darren Waller is the third best player in the NFC East. He says, "Are you kidding me, McLaurin?" Uh, he he said uh, Smith, and I said, "Hold on a sec, I'm talking about this year, not in the past. Going into this year, McLaurin has no quarterback throwing him the ball." Jacoby Brissett, are you going to trust that Jacoby Brissett is going to make McLaurin a 1,000-yard wide receiver this year? He was a 1,000-yard wide receiver last year, but he also had Carson Wentz throwing him the ball and then Taylor Henneke, who's better than any quarterback that they have on that roster right now. Yeah, Brissett is a— He's good, but he's not great. And he's not a big arm quarterback. And he's not even starting. He's not even the number one. Yeah, Sam Howell's going to likely start the season. We'll see see how he develops. I'm not crazy about him. I'm just saying. Yeah, nevertheless— McLaurin, I'm talking about this year. Darren Waller, if he stays healthy, he is going to be a 1,000-yard tight end wide receiver. That's what he's going to be. Yeah, and he with the way Dable's going to use him in the offense, he's going to have a fantastic year. I really do. As long as he stays healthy, Darren Waller is one of the top three, top four tight ends in the league, and you can use him as a wide receiver. And he is going to have a lot of catches this year. And I, I'm predicting he will be a Pro Bowl player this year. Yeah, I, I do. And he said Darren Waller, he can opt out next year. And he says that the Giants, even if the Giants decide to keep him and he doesn't opt out, there's no way he's going to stay at $12 million. I said, well, if he has eleven or 1,200 yards next year, you damn well believe that he will. So uh, he has to stay healthy. If he stays healthy, Darren Waller is going to have a fantastic year. And, yes, I think he's the third best offensive player in the, in the NFC East. I, I do. I think – if you would ask me right now, who would I want, McLaurin or obviously Darren Waller? If Darren Waller stays healthy, I'm taking Darren Waller. So, and that's just my and I like McLaurin. I draft him in all my fantasy teams. So I, it's 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 a good argument, but I, who knows? And and I know Mikey likes to argue with me, so it goes back. And he wanted to play devil advocate because he was going back and forth with me uh, about oh that was the bet that I I bet him that the Jets are not going to have to give up a first-round draft pick for he Aaron Rodgers. He still believes that? He thinks the wow. Jets are going to have to give up a first-round draft pick for him. And I said, there's no way in hell the Jets are giving up a first-round draft pick for Aaron Rodgers. So he does, he, does that count this year or at all? No, he thinks that the, he believes that the Jets are going to have to give up at least one first-round draft pick. And I said, no way. Wow. No way. They're not going to do that. So, <laughs> so... He says, well, if they don't do that, then he's not getting traded to the Jets. I said, then where is he going? Because there's no way he's going to an NFC team because the Packers already said they're not trading within the conference. And who in the AFC now that Jimmy Garoppolo goes to the Raiders, who's going to bring him in? Tennessee doesn't have the money to do that. Nope. Who's going to bring him in? Who? I have no idea. The Reds, uh, the, the, uh, the Washington Commanders? I don't think that's happening. He's not going to Washington. So there is no other team, and he wants to play this year. So the Jets have all the leverage. Washington would have done it last year if they tried the to The Jets do it. have the leverage. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way the Jets – he says the Green Bay Packers have the leverage. How, how do you figure? How? Well, first of all, they need to get him off the cap because it's hurting them bringing in free agents. So how do they – how does Green Bay have the leverage? And that's the thing about Mikey. 
Mikey always thinks he's right. So when I get Mikey in an argument, Mikey will fight an argument to try to make himself right every single time when he's absolutely wrong. How so, do the Packers have the leverage? They have they no had leverage, leverage last year. They, they should have, have traded no him leverage. last year when he could have gotten two first-round picks. The only him. reason why he hasn't been traded to the Jets is because they're trying their best to get as much as they possibly can, and the Jets aren't biting. Mm-hmm. They're not biting. Because the Packers know they made a mistake and waited forever, and now yeah. they don't have leverage. They should have done this a long time ago. As soon as they knew that Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to come back next year, they knew it. After the season was over, they should have automatically reached out to the teams that were interested and tried to make the move at that time. And because they didn't do it, and because they waited for Aaron Rodgers to go to the darkness, even though Aaron already said before he went into the darkness, he was 90% sure that he was going to retire, which I don't believe, by the way. I do not believe that. Because I've heard through the grapevine he didn't want to go into retirement with Tom Brady and J.J. Watt and go in the same year that they're going in to the Hall of Fame. He wanted to be separately. He doesn't want to be compared to Tom Brady or J.J. Watt at his position. He wanted to go in separately. So I I knew he wasn't going into retirement. The fact that he said it, good. If that sells, maybe he was just trying to screw the Green Bay Packers. I have no idea. I said that last year, too. I wouldn't surprise me Maybe he was. trying to be petty with each other at this point. But look at the value that he would have had last year. Would have been two first-round picks. By the, way, by the way, Mikey C. will be in the studio next week. So oh. he will be joining us next week. And I'm looking forward to having his arguing pain in the ass in the studio. Uh, so he will be here next week. I don't know what day. It's either Wednesday or Thursday. And he will be the pain in the butt that he always is. All right. I, I'm just curious how he ever thinks that the Packers have any leverage. Because they, the leverage was last year. Look at look at the Russell Wilson trade, too, with the Broncos and the Seahawks. The Seahawks got two first-round picks, a, a good tight young tight end in Fonts, and a good defensive lineman in Shelby Harris. And they made, both, uh, they made all these draft picks work out of it. And they were a playoff team with Geno Smith, at quarterback, out of nowhere. And they got good value out of that. The Packers could have gotten a lot more than even that value last year off an MVP year if they really wanted to rebuild this team. And they decided to give him $50 million, and they lost some other players in the process. They're going to lose other defensive players. They have to sign Rashawn Gary. They lost a couple secondary pieces. And they're now going to be in a lot of trouble getting wide receivers at the premier position, offensive tackle at premier position. So how much leverage are you going to have trying to trade Aaron Rodgers at the cap pit that he's at and waiting forever, being I don't want to trade him to the NSC. They don't have leverage at this point. Eric Martini called me during my my all day today. He's He's been sending me messages. The Jets are screwing up. They're waiting for Aaron Rodgers. Blah, blah, blah. They're not bringing in free agents because they're waiting for him. They're still bringing in free agents. And then all of a sudden, he says to me, they didn't bring, they didn't, they're not bringing Dwight Feeney back or whatever. Feeney back. And they're not bringing this guy back or, or her big back. Let me tell you something. And then he sends me just a text that the Jets just landed uh, a good depth player in Wes uh, Schweitzer. Okay? All right. He's Feeney's replacement. Yeah. He's a good depth player. So now all of a sudden he's happy. I said, the Jets are not being held up from Aaron Rodgers. Okay? They're still negotiating a deal with Quinn and Williams. They're still... Uh, bringing in free agents, whatever they can fit through the cap. They're still going to draft the players that they're intrigued and interested in. So I don't know why anybody thinks that Aaron Rodgers is holding the Jets up. They're not. He's not. And Pat, uh, Aaron Rodgers pretty much confirmed on the Pat McAfee show. Oh, I'm not holding the. I'm not holding this up with my three parent 
players that I wanted that I was wrongfully uh, wrongfully tweeted by Adam Schefter and Diana Rossini. He's like, all these guys that they wanted. Not only that, and he just confirmed everything we were saying about the Packers front office and how they operate. Yeah. Not, the process to get there is just not ideal. You know what's so funny about Snug? He says, hooray, some common sense is coming to town. If you think Mikey C is common sense, then you obviously didn't listen to enough of our shows in the past. There is no common sense that comes out of Mikey C. There are some things that he's been right about. As far as Jacob DeGrom being the best Mets pitcher out of all five of them, I I thought it was um, – what's his name again? Who went to Harvey? Phil- no, Philadelphia. Wheeler. Uh, Wheeler. I always thought it was Zach Wheeler when they brought him from San Francisco, when they traded for, from, from San Francisco. I always thought Wheeler was the better of them all, and I still think he is. I, right now, if you were to ask me who's the best out of all of them, I think it's Zach Wheeler. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, Jacob DeGrom is, you know, over the last couple of years, it's Jacob DeGrom. But at that time, he thought Jake was, and he was right about that. Uh, but he's been wrong about so many different things, so many different arguments that we've had on the show. And he still believes that he was right, even from the arguments when he was wrong. Of course. So, And that's why, li- listen, he says he's made a load of bets that he's won. Disagree. I mean, he's made a load of bets that he's lost, and he's never paid up. So he says I never paid up, but he never paid up. So uh, that that's just what I what I believe, in, and I'm not going to argue about it. So why don't we we'll go into our March Madness? I didn't set up my bracket, but we'll we'll do March Madness bracket after we go through the NFL free agency recap. As we all know, Derek Carr goes to uh, New Orleans. Uh, he goes to the Saints. $150 million contract. Um, this was a good move, Speedy. I, I really do. I think Derek Carr is a quality quarterback going to the NFC. Gives him another, the NFC another quality quarterback. Something that they have, they're starting to lack because all the quarterbacks are going to the NFC. As Aaron Rodgers is heading there. Tom Brady retires. I, I mean, this was a good move in my eyes for uh, obviously Vegas not getting anything for him, but the Saints getting uh, the quarterback moving forward that they needed, uh, heavily needed, moving forward. John Fina just mentioned uh, how these salary caps are maneuvered make their head spin. Just imagine if he was trying to podcast for the Saints. They do this every year where they manipulate it and they make it work again. Now they did it with Michael Thomas to make sure that Derek Carr could come in. Absolutely great move. But this was the contract I was hoping the Giants would sign Daniel Jones for this kind of value. Four years, 150 $37 million a year. Derek Carr gets it and well-deserved for him. So I, I'm looking at – I'm going to go through some of the, the guys that I think were very good. If They were very good deals for some of the teams. Uh, Mike McGlinchey going, obviously, to Denver, $87 million. It was a good contract. I think he was a little overpaid. I, I would say uh, $79, $80 million. He, he, he's a good right tackle. Uh, the fact that you're paying a right tackle almost $90 million is a significant amount. So – um, I think 79, 78 would have been more, uh, you know, fitting for, for a guy like McGlinchey, but it was a good move. I, I think they needed a tackle position. He will be going as a right tackle. I wouldn't be surprised if they move him to the left tackle position because of the lack of left tackle, uh, you know, depth over there in uh, Denver. So I, I think that was a pretty good move. Um, Hargrave, fantastic move, adding to that defense. One of the best defense, if not deep, it is the best defense in football. You had another powerhouse defensive player like that to a defense that really didn't need any help. Fantastic, fantastic move uh, for San Francisco. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy G going to Las Vegas. Very interesting move. If Jimmy stays healthy, 
it could be a very good fit. But Josh McDaniels, look what Josh McDaniels has done. Everywhere he's gone. He went to Denver for, what, a year, two years, and then gets fired. Now he's going on to his second year. I guarantee you, if Jimmy Garoppolo fails and this team fails to make the playoffs, which they probably will, they're in a very hard division, and the AFC is just so good, I believe Josh McDaniels probably will be fired. They're talking about Renfro, trading Renfro now. Uh, Adams wants out. How far and how far is this team going to go until it completely gets thrown away and, and being broken apart? I mean, horrible, horrible when you hear your wide receiver, both your wide receivers want out, Renfro and Mr. Adams. And Josh Jacobs got a franchise tag, which sometimes has left players unhappy, and he wasn't too happy about trading Darren Waller either, so maybe he's next. Orlando Brown, uh, who, which I was very surprised he was still sitting there from last night. We find out last night he go he heads to Cincinnati for $64 million. Speedy, you love that move mm-hmm. for Cincinnati. He had a, one of the better tackles, a four-time Pro Bowler. I think he's been to the Pro Bowl like three or four times in a row. Yeah, and he's one of the best run-blocking tackles in the entire league, which the Bengals definitely need because the Joe Mixon, he was dealing with a lot of injury issues last year, and he's been wearing down. He's getting older, so they also might have to draft a running back, too. So they had a lot of more pass-blocking guys to help out Burrow. Now they finally get a run-blocking guy to help him out, too. And they got him at a really good value, too, $60 million a year. Now his signing bonus is the high one, but still... There must have been something sour with the Chiefs front office for him to not stay there and take that much less money. Yep. It's surprising. Jesse Bates goes to Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta needs that secondary help. Jesse Bates is one of the best safeties in football. Uh, that's a big loss for Cincinnati. Very big loss, especially in the playoffs. You saw how very important he was the last two years, especially the run that they had going all the way to the Super Bowl. So losing Jesse Bates, Atlanta adding a talent like that. Atlanta made a couple of moves that really stands out this offseason, and maybe they get Lamar Jackson before this offseason is over. I mean, you're hearing stories that they're very interested in Lamar. They have reached out to Lamar Jackson and have spoken to him of possibly giving up two first-round draft picks for him. We'll see if Baltimore will allow it. I think Baltimore's playing chicken with him. Jacoby Myers gets overpaid by Vegas, getting $33 million, $11 million a year. I, I don't understand that, but... I, I I don't know. I, I I don't understand what Vegas is doing. They don't want to do. They don't want to use Renfro, who had a fantastic rookie season and second year with John Gruden. All of a sudden, you're just throwing him to the wolves because he didn't fit in Josh McDaniels' offense. I I, I don't understand what Josh McDaniels is doing over there, but he's ruining that whole organization, an organization that had a tremendous amount of weapons offensively. They get rid of Darren Waller for a third-round draft pick. Okay, I I know Darren Waller can stay healthy for the last two years. I wonder why he didn't stay healthy for the last year. Okay, if Darren Waller was playing for John Gruner or any other team, I get uh, any other coach, he probably would have fought it all, fought it out, and actually played. I, I just throwing him away. Renfro is probably going to get traded. Adams is probably getting getting is probably going to get traded. And and you you look at it, the whole point of the offseason last year was bringing in Adams to play with his buddy. Carr, and now all of a sudden Carr is gone. He's playing for the Saints, and Adams wants out. He wants to go back and play with Aaron Rodgers or whoever, play with a competent quarterback because he doesn't think Jimmy Garoppolo is competent. Now, Jeff, I know you said that he's not the GM, but he, the GM is catering to his ego at this point. If you're signing Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Myers and trading Darren Waller, which was the original rumor in the offseason because that's not Josh McDaniel's guy, then they're catering to him at this point, and it's not going to work. 
because Josh McDaniels has not really proven enough as a coach to be able to have that kind of power to get, quote-unquote, his guys. Miles Sanders goes to Carolina. I think this is a good deal. Mm -hmm. Philadelphia lets go of Miles Sanders. He goes for $25 million, six, $6 million a year, I think it is. I think it's around $6 million a year for one of the better running backs. Had a very good season last year in the NFC East. He's He's been the best running back for the Philadelphia Eagles for the last couple of years. I, I love this move. I really do. Yeah, the Panthers need somebody that could be a, just a consistent running back, too. Because once they traded McCaffrey, they had running backs that did well in flashes, but were never consistent. And I think Sanders, the one thing, year to year, he's not as consistent. But the one thing he was this year for the Eagles this year was definitely consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look at all the deals. Juju Smith-Schuster goes from Kansas City to New England. $25 million, $8.5 million a year. I think it's a little high. I, I still think Juju has a little bit more. I think he has enough gas in him uh, to still play, and I think they could use him uh, offensively over there. They've had problems finding wide receivers in free agency and drafting wide receivers. As a matter of fact, I think the Patriots are one of the worst teams at finding wide receivers they in the are. draft. Mm-hmm. So uh, bringing in Juju, I think he fits the type of offense that – uh, Bill Belichick likes to run. We'll see how they're going to run it this year. They have uh, O'Brien back. I think O'Brien is definitely going to be better than the garbage that they had last year. And uh, so, I listen, I think coaching has a lot to do with how the Patriots run their offense, how they run their defense. I think now that they, they're starting to sort it out, uh, I, I do believe they're going to be better this year, offensively and defensively. Well, they have to be at this point. They got to find something at the wide receiver position. They got to find something schematically. Now, Juju is that stereotypical eight and a half million dollars for Juju, who, by the way, could not stay healthy. Never stays healthy. Hasn't stayed healthy since Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's high. Eight and a half million dollars for Juju. We'll see how long Juju stays on the field this year. Right. And I can't wait when he gets hurt. The excuses that are going to come out of your mouth, Jeff. <laughs> Okay, you make a lot of excuses. You and Snug might as well marry each other because every single thing Snug says, you agree, and everything that you agree, you say, Snug agrees. So you guys should marry each other. You should you should be boyfriends. Okay, because mm-hmm. everything that you guys say, you agree to. Maybe because you're Patriot fans, or maybe just you're two idiots. Yeah, I, I Juju's interesting because he's mostly a slot guy in his career, which the Patriots do love to prioritize. The thing is, is Juju, I think, since he's come into the league, hasn't really grown as much as a, a lot of a route runner as you would like him to be. He's not he's a good simple route guy, but sometimes those tougher routes he has trouble with, and even with the Chiefs that have a very complicated playbook, he never really was getting it going. Now he's good with tough catches, but he's not much of a deep threat. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag what you're getting, but he is a slot guy which Belichick likes. Uh David Montgomery goes from Chicago to Detroit. I love this move. Love this move. I think they have their one-two punch. I, I like I like David Montgomery a lot. I liked him in Chicago. I think he was so underrated and underused and underappreciated by the Chicago fans. Uh, $18 million, $6 million a year. I think that's a, a pretty good contract for a running back. You're not overpaying. I know Jeff says, don't pay a running back. He's 20, what, 25 years old? 26? Yeah, yeah he's still he's young. And still he's... a young running back and still has at least four or five years left on those dreads. I think he's a great fit. A great fit for Detroit. Yeah, and it gives them leeway, too, if they're not able to get contract negotiations with Swift, who has to be paid at the end of this year because he wasn't a first-round pick, so he does not have a fifth-year option. And he's been dealing with a lot of injury issues the last couple of years. 
year. So if they let him go, they have at least a good, competent running back at Montgomery if they if they do. But what road. additions that you liked so far this offseason, Speedy? I like I like a lot of the defensive players that ended up getting signed. Draymond Jones, I like to Seattle. I think is a really good move for them. There was This was a team that had a lot of trouble against the run last year. He gets three years, $51 million, which is $17 million a year. And uh, our Broncos guy, Lance Sanderson, was mentioning he was having probably an all-pro type year. If it wasn't for Quinton Williams and Chris Jones and all those guys, he might have been right up there. But Seattle desperately needs some help in the front seven. They get him. They get Jaron Reed back, who was good in, in Pete Carroll's system. I think Seattle's done a really good job at addressing their needs, which is not like them. They're usually an unconventional system in their front office. I also like Cleveland. A lot of the stuff they've done to improve their run defense, they get Dalvin Tomlinson. You like Cleveland. Every year, you like Cleveland with their talent, and every single year, they fail. I like Watson this year. I think Watson will have a better year than he did last year coming coming into, what, the 11th or 12th game. I think a full season under the same offense that he, he came in in the second half of the season. I think it's fitting, and I think he's going to have a better season. I think Cleveland could absolutely sneak into the playoffs this year. I don't trust Baltimore. We don't know if Lamar is going to be back there. Pittsburgh is still trying to figure out what this team is offensively. They know what they are defensively. They're always going to be a good defensive team. The problem with Pittsburgh is... Is their quarterback worth waiting for and developing? And is this offense good enough? Because Johnson, I think, was Johnson a free agent this year? No, he has another year left. Because I, I, I remember a lot of people thought that they were going to release him in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, again, I don't know what Pittsburgh is going to be this year. They traded away what, Clay Paul last year at the trade deadline to Chicago. Uh, I, I don't know who they are as an offensive team. So Right, and uh, can you trust Najee Harris to stay healthy, too? Cause that's he another thing. This year. That's another thing. And, and to me, they, they've always been a run-first, throw-second team, except when Tony O'Brown was there. And they had Le'Veon Bell. I just think they're a completely different team now. And they're they're reconstructed a completely different way. So I'm interested to see what Pittsburgh does this year. Obviously, the Bengals are going to be uh, the cream of the crop. But I think Cleveland's right behind them. I really do. Yeah, I think most of the issues with the Browns' defense the last year was more coaching than it was actually talent. They had some injuries, too, which hurt them, too. I think they had three different linebackers hurt. They had a safety hurt. And they were good against the pass. They were a top-10 defense against the pass. And they, Miles Garrett obviously could sack the quarterback. But they were really bad against the run. So they get Dalvin Tomlinson. I like I like Quan Thornhill, too. Gives them more depth. And they were able to keep a lot of their linebackers, too. And a new defensive coordinator, because their defensive coordinator was horrible last year. I'm still... I'm looking at all the signings. And there's still a lot of good players still available. I mean, they're... Uh, to be determined, so many players that stand out that are still on the the free agent wire. Now, that's why I'm looking at Green Bay and what are they waiting for? Make this trade already so you you free out some cap space where you can make some moves and help out Jordan Love. Who do they have catching the ball next year? Who do they have? Christian, Christian Watson? Christian Watson and a fifth-round rookie of Romeo Dobbs. They don't have anybody. They don't have anyone. And and they might have a bad season next year. They might. They're in a, in a division that's getting better. Detroit's going to be better. Minnesota will be right there. Even though I don't trust them. They, they, Adam Thielen. It, where did Adam Thielen go? Did he, he go he anywhere? He didn't sign yet. All right. Adam Thielen. There were stories going out that he wants to play with Aaron Rodgers. I... I don't think he's going there because they added Alan Lazar. I don't see the Jets doing that unless he takes a, a huge pay cut. But, uh, again, I, I'm looking at so many guys. and uh, Why isn't the Giants going after Adam Thielen? 
I think the Giants are going to stay young at receiver. If I think they're going to stick to the draft now at this point or a trade because they have a lot of like young. They have a young. How about the Patriots? Maybe he he would be a good fit with the Patriots. The Patriots actually is very interesting too. Now I think if they didn't go after Juju, maybe they would have looked at that because at this point they're both kind of bigger slot guys. Now I think Thielen does more as a route runner. He's much more of a deep threat than Juju is. But you wonder if they could could still consider it because they need somebody that could stretch the field. They need offense. Okay, they're they've had problem scoring all season long last year, and they, they've never had a problem. They always have a good running game. Always. They can run the ball. Always. And they don't sign any running backs. They'll, they'll lose Harris this offseason, but they always add a running back every single draft, and they don't ever re-sign him. And that's the way Bill Belichick likes to run his offense. But they have problems finding wide receivers and then bringing in free agent wide receivers to succeed over there. So it's been a huge problem. So if Adam Thielen is available, and by the way, this is such a, to me, a dry off season for wide receivers. Knowing that Adam Thielen is av- available, why aren't th- teams dro- jumping on this? Unless Adam Thielen has the decision to make where he wants to go. Right. Maybe he is stingy with where he's going. He, he was a Minnesota guy, so he didn't want to leave Minnesota, but new front office parted ways with him. It'll be interesting because he's kind of used as a second and slash third receiver in that offense with the Vikings throughout the year. Maybe they're trying to figure out what role he's in, but you're right. There's a lot of teams that have a lot of money that definitely could use him. <clears throat> Atlanta is another one that's interesting too with with that because Drake London was a good rookie receiver, but they didn't have much after. You know that. what's so funny? It's so funny about Jeff, and he, he posts these things. I I sit here and I laugh at him. He says they signed James Robinson. Okay, he's one of the guys that says the Patriots do not sign running backs. Does he not? He says that all the time. He they draft and they let go of running backs and they draft another one because they they signed James Robinson. He's now all of a sudden taking shots at me. Oh, uh, that's a lie too. It's fake news. Whatever, Jeff. Jeff, you always complain and you always argue about something. I don't know why you argue. I, I think you think you're funny or just maybe I think you're just stupid and, and you like to be dumb. So that's just my opinion. I just want to mention more about with Thielen, though, because I think last year what you saw, in addition to a year where a lot of veteran quarterbacks had a lot of trouble, a lot of veteran receivers, too, did not have the best years either. So you wonder if that market is kind of shifting where they're not going to trust them as much and being the first guys off the board. Like you used to see with these veteran receivers getting contracts right away, pretty much. It's a young receiver league now, and they're counting on more in the draft and even like trades like last year with A.J. Brown to do more. Mm. All right. Why don't we go to our March Madness bracket? You have music? Get some music uh, posted up. And then we'll go through the bracket. Maybe Jeff should call so we can hear his dumb bracket because he always thinks he's always right about everything. That's the same guy that's going to eat dog doo-doo in a couple of days. All right. So you said you didn't do yours. I didn't. I'm going to do it right now. All right. So the first, we'll start with the Alabama region. They're the number one overall seed. Uh, I had them winning... Uh, I guess a 16 seed, and then they would play the winner of Maryland and West Virginia. So I'll let you pick for that one first. I've got Alabama. Alabama actually a number one seed. Uh, everybody says they're one of the favorites are going all the way, defensively, offensively, more offensively it's sound, and, and they can shoot the three, they can do everything, and I have tremendous uh, size down low. So I had Alabama, well, I have Alabama going. Uh, to the second round. So 8-9, Maryland, West Virginia. Who do you have? Maryland. Okay. I, Maryland's played very, very well, especially the second half of the season. And they're, they're a dangerous team. A lot of people have Maryland going all the way to the Sweet 16. Uh-huh. So 
Uh, yes, I have Maryland. All right, well, they did win earlier today, so you ended up being right about that. All right, the 5-12 was San Diego State and Charleston. I was wrong about this one. Gad, what do you got I there? didn't know much about it, but I, I took the better seed. I had San Diego State winning that game. Okay, you ended up being right in that yes. case as well. And then the upset that I mentioned earlier, uh, Furman upsetting Virginia. Here's wh how, why I thought Furman was going to win. I, I remember Jeff telling me Furman's one of the better offensive teams in the country. They are, yep. And I listened to Reese Davis on the McAfee show when he was on McAfee show the other day, and he said that he likes Furman, and he likes Furman going deep into this uh, this bracket. I have him in the Sweet 16. I have Furman. I have him in the Sweet 16. So now I had the 12 seed beating. Uh, Lower the music a little bit. Yes, I had the 12 seed Charleston knock you off San Diego State. I was wrong about that. Aztecs won earlier. They held on, but I did have Furman as well in the Sweet 16. All right, the next matchup is uh, Creighton and NC State. They'll be playing tomorrow. I watched Creighton twice this season, okay? They always have size, and they're a good rebounding team. I have Creighton in this game against NC State. Yeah, I love Creighton as well. I actually have Creighton going a lot further as well, too, because they were one of the top 10 offensive, uh, top 10 teams in the country at the beginning of the year. They had a slow start, so that's why they took a while for the rally back, but they're experienced, too, and they have a lot of potent offense and free throw shooting, too. Mm. And then the next matchup is uh, number three, Baylor, against 14, Santa Barbara. By the way, Jeff, you say that I'm picking teams that already have won. Just so you know, I'm on an empty, empty bracket right now looking at the games. I don't know who won and who lost today. So shut up, Jeff. You're an idiot. Okay? I have Baylor winning that game against UCSB. So Baylor, who always is ranked very, very high, good team overall, can play defense and offense. I like them moving on to the second round. Yeah, I have Baylor as well. Creighton-Baylor I think would be a very interesting sweet uh second round matchup as well. All right. Number seven, Missouri. Number 10, Utah State. Both very potent offensive teams, not very good defensive teams. Did this game happen already? This game happened already. I have Missouri winning the game. They're the higher seed. I don't know much about Missouri or Utah State, so I had the higher seed, Missouri moving on. Okay, yeah. I, I had Utah State. I was wrong on that. Missouri did win that game. Missouri is the worst team of defensively in the tournament, and then we talked about Arizona earlier. They I stopped. had Arizona winning that game. Okay, yeah, I did too. I, I didn't like Arizona at the start of the tournament. I think they got lucky where they ended up because they're not a good defensive team either like Missouri and Utah State, but they still lost anyway. So, uh, Princeton moving on to the upset. All right, let's go to the uh, – we'll go to the region with Purdue now. So, Purdue against the 16th seed, Fairleigh Dickinson. They Hold play on, tomorrow. I'm trying to bring that up. Okay. Uh, Purdue. I have Purdue. Size and ability. Uh, play very good defense. Pretty good uh, – you know, pretty good team. Pretty, overall, they're one of the better teams in the country. They were – I remember somebody telling me that going in – to this season, they weren't even going to be ranked or something like that. They were ranked a lot lower than people thought yeah. originally because it was supposed to be a transition year for yeah. them. They were they were ranked lower in the Big Ten at the start of the season than Michigan State, who's still in, but they're a seven seed, and uh, Michigan with bigger expectations. I have Purdue. Yeah, All I have right. Purdue winning. So they they would take on the eight seed Memphis or the nine seed Florida Atlantic. I know I've I've heard a lot of people like Florida Atlantic in this game, but I have Memphis. Uh, they have a pretty good point guard uh, that uh, everybody keeps talking about. He is going. Some people say he could be a first round draft pick going into the draft this year. So I have Memphis uh, winning this game. I don't know how good defensively or offensively they are, but I've heard about their point guards. So I have Memphis. Yeah, Monty Bates has been a very good player for them. I had FAU in this. I have FAU in this game just because I trust them a little more De defensively. They're a bigger team. Memphis doesn't have a lot of size uh, comparatively, and they've had trouble at the end of games with certain defensive matches. But they did play Houston tough recently, which mm -hmm. could help them. But I have FAU. Uh, we saw Duke. Uh, Duke earlier. They blew out Oral Roberts. Well, I'll take the L on this one. They were my sleeper team this year, and I was wrong on that. I have Duke winning this game. I think the. 
Duke Blue Devils might not get out of the third, the Sweet 16. Okay, I, I still now I, th- I I'm, I'm not sure about Tennessee. If Tennessee gets out of Louisiana, I, which I th- I'm going to take Tennessee in that game. But I have Duke winning uh, winning against Oral Roberts. I don't know about against Tennessee if if they have to play Tennessee. But I have Tennessee winning their first matchup against Louisiana. Yeah, I I, I have the L on that one. Oral Roberts is actually my super sleeper team to go very far in that tournament, but ended up being wrong on that one. Tennessee and Louisiana playing right now, like you said, Tennessee. They're right around finishing that game. So the next one is Kentucky 16 against Jeff's Providence Friars. I got Providence winning that game. I got Providence winning that game. I've heard the last, in the second half of the college season, they've played very well. And I don't trust Kentucky. The Wildcats, you know, obviously ranked sixth. I understand about, you know, the, the way John Calipari, John Calipari likes to run his offense. And, and, and a, lot of these, a lot of these kids, a lot of these youngsters go to the NBA. I just don't know how good Kentucky has been all season long. But I like Providence in this game. I wanted to like Providence because they, they look good on paper. This is the one team that scares me against them, though, because Kentucky has a lot of size, and Providence is a very guard-oriented team. I was ready to pick them against a lot of all the other six seeds, but I just can't do it here. Mm. So I'm going to go Kentucky in this one. So then it's Kansas State against Montana State, 3 Kansas State. I got Kansas State in this game. Yeah, I got Kansas State as well. Now, they're kind of an up-and-down team. I don't trust them all the time, but I, I, did, I do think they're good enough to win here. Kind of inexperienced, but balanced team. I have Kansas State. And it looks like we do have our, uh, Providence, our Providence alum or Providence whatever. Jeff is calling. Oh, okay. Now all of a sudden he calls and, and he's going to be a pain in the ass. All right, Jeff, what? How is it you can say, Speedy, that Providence does, doesn't have any size? Have you seen Ed Croswell? Yeah, I, yeah, and they're mo- I said they're mostly guard-oriented. Croswell is good. He's the only one, and, the, and Kentucky's got three guys over 6'9". He's nine. not the only one because they got the other kid, the Kentucky transfer. This is a Kentucky revenge game, Speedy. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't realize that a Kentucky transfer. Of course they do. What is wrong with you? That kid could have been the player of the year this year, dude. And by the way, I, I was wrong. Providence had a good first half, bad second half, whatever. Uh, but I have yeah, problems. Bryce, Bryce Hopkins. Bryce Hopkins could have been player of the year this year. Transfer from Kentucky. He's got size, too. Are you telling me 6'7 isn't any size? No, no. That's I, size. That no, I'm saying Kentucky has over six, three guys over 6'9, so it just scared me with the, the starting lineup as a whole. But, Who, right, what are we on? Pro- uh, we're on Michigan State 7 against USC number 10. I got Michigan State. I have Michigan State as well. It's not their most flashy team, but they're very fundamentally sound. Good free. They got a great coach. You know, I'm going to trust in in the coach more than the team. So I I have Michigan State winning that game. Even Uh, though a lot of people like USC, my friend has like three brackets he made for ESPN and Yahoo. He's got USC moving on in this game. I, I could see it, but I have Michigan State as well. I think this is, a, this is what Tom Ezzo does. He does better actually with the underdog team, so I could see them being very Who do you pesky. have, Jeff? Michigan State and USC. Michigan State's not a very good team this year. They don't know really how to score the ball. They play low-scoring games. USC's got guys that can put it in the hoop. Give me USC. Mm. All right, and the last one in that region is Marquette and Vermont. Marquette. I've watched them three times this year. I like Marquette. I think they go far. I think they go into the Sweet 16. I'm actually very worried about them because their defense, like Arizona's, is very suspect. They're in a very good bracket. They're matched up. Look who they have to play. They got They have to play Michigan State or USC. I think they could beat any one of those teams. And if they move on, they got to play Kentucky, Providence, Kansas State, or Montana State. I, I think they can absolutely compete against any one of those teams. So I think they're in a good bracket. 
I'm worried about their defense, though. What, and also, which Shaka Smart are you going to get? Are you get the Shaka Smart of VCU or the one of yeah. Texas that struggled in the first round a lot? Yeah. But I do have him winning this game. All right. So I mean, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Shaka Smart has got that team to be the – I think they're the third highest scoring team in all of No, they're a fantastic basketball. offense. They're, they're not a good defense, though. I worry about and that. W- and what wins games? I offense. If yeah. They can have who an overperforming offense. I'm not denying the, that, Jeff. But, but, but how, do, how do you win games? I know, but I'm just saying, like, you, that still worries me. Is, that still worries is, me down the road. Does, does the team with more points at the end of the game ha- win the game? Jeff, I know. I criticize teams in reverse. And who, who scores most points? Okay, Marquette does. I'm not denying that. I criticize the reverse, too, Jeff. That's why I take shots of Virginia all the time. Because they don't and score. don't sleep on Shaka Smart. Shaka Smart is back after being at that trash school, Texas. <laughs> trash school, Texas. <laughs> All right, so uh, Houston and Auburn, both those games just finished up. I have up. Houston, obviously, because they're, they're everybody's favorite. I, I didn't, even though they had problems playing North Kentucky, yeah, they, they did. did. They did. They, they did. did. I, I, we watched Don't sleep game. on the Norse. Yeah. <laughs> but Houston wins. I have them. And then I had Auburn versus Iowa. All right, so the next one will be uh, Miami and Dr- uh, Drake, five twelve matchup here. I have Miami winning this game. I have Miami as well. I a like lot of a people lot. have them going to the Elite Eight. So. I considered it. Yes. I did. Because I, I wish they weren't in the same region as Houston. I think they would have beaten Purdue. I'm doing my bracket now, so I don't know what I'm considering. Gotcha. But, but still, I, I wanted to put them there so badly. I just couldn't do it quite there with, with Houston. But I do have them winning against Drake. Uh-huh. Okay. Jeff, what do you got that one? 5-12. My, Miami, that kid Wong is awesome. I know. ACC Player of the Year, they're saying he could be. All right, next one is Indiana number four against Kent State. Uh, Mike Woodson's Indiana Hoosiers. I have Indiana winning that game. Yep. I got Indiana as well. They're a good close game team. They're not a great team on paper. I don't know much about them. I didn't watch them play at but all. But they are year. gritty. They, so they could be a tough out too. But I think them and Miami down the road. I'm really hard. just picking them because of their high ranking. I didn't see any of them this year. So I did watch Miami once. I, I watched Iowa play once this year. Auburn I, I watched play a couple of times. Uh, I did think Auburn. They were they're kind of both eighth, eighth and ninth. I thought Auburn was a better team than Iowa, so that's why I picked. Yeah, Iowa's all offense, no defense, yeah. too. So it's the same logic. All right, Jeff, who do you have in that game? Who did you have in that game? In, uh, in honor of the greatest slot receiver to ever play NFL football, I will take the Penn State Golden Flashes. <laughs> Not, Adelman. Are we talking about Penn State? Talking about Kent, Kent State. State. Okay. <laughs> All right, number six, Iowa State, and number 11, Pitt. Um, I, I don't know much about these two teams. I've seen Pitt play this year, but I don't Pitt know how stinks. good they are. They're overrated. Yeah. Take anyone who plays Pitt. Uh, I have Iowa State. Yeah, I have Iowa State, too. They're a good defensive team, and they've been growing a lot with experience in this tournament. And I don't care what the spread is. Pitt never covers. They're terrible. <laughs> oh, so that's where your vendetta comes. Now it all makes sense, Jeff. All right. Number- first of all, first of all, Speedy, just so you know, I am a piece of shit gambler. I gamble every night. Do you know how many spreads Pitt has covered this year? Like five. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, next one. And this one is number three, Xavier. Number four. You know my answer to this. Kennesaw. Six. I have Xavier. This is my 14-3 upset. I'm taking Kennesaw. I don't trust Xavier's defense. I have Xavier. Okay. He's high, Xavier all day. All right, fine. I, uh, there's usually one 14-3 upset. This is the one I think that's most likely. All right, Penn State and then Texas A&M. Penn State. I have Penn State going on to the next round. 
All right, uh, Penn State is playing now, and you ended up looked like you're right about them because they were up 66-42. I will take the L on Texas A&M. I watched Penn State play twice this year. I like the I like the team, and they're good. They're pretty good offensively. So I'll take the L on Texas A&M. I had them, and I had yeah. them in the Elite Eight. <laughs> it was a it was a no brainer. Texas A&M was going to lose when those idiot kids got off the bus and started dancing their way through the hotel. <laughs> uh-huh. then, see, Jeff knows the inside stuff. I have no idea. <laughs> did you not see that video? No, I, I dude, I oh. dude, I've been out all day. I haven't had a chance to it look at anything. It was a no brainer that they were going to lose. They're, I wish Brandon Miller had come down from his hotel room to see that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure. Last one for that reason is Texas and Colgate. Texas. Yeah. Texas, I have Texas. And they ended up winning in that one. They won 81-61. to 61. Trash school. <laughs> All right, and the last one. Uh, they got a lot of money. Kansas <laughs> against the 16-seed Howard. Got Kansas. Yep, Kansas won earlier, but in a blowout fashion. Number eight, Arkansas. Number nine, Illinois. Arkansas. Yep. I watched them play this year. Okay, yep, and they ended up winning earlier as well. They won 73-63. to All right, number five, St. Mary's. Number 12, VCU. I've been hearing a lot of good things about St. Mary's, uh, so I'm just telling you what I've heard. That's how you know I'm going to take VCU. I know you're taking VCU. I'm taking St. Mary's. I have VCU game. as well, Jeff. I, like, I think they're a pretty well-rounded team, and they got hot. St. Mary's has to be too. the most overrated school on the planet. A lot of people most like overrated. them. I know. A lot of people like them. I, I, I'm just saying. I'm just telling uh, give you what me I a, Give me a gritty school where a guy like Shaka Smart used to coach. <laughs> okay. All right. Number uh, number four, UConn. Number 13, Iona. What be, might be Rick Pitino's last UConn. game. UConn. I got UConn in I this got game. UConn as well. I think they go all the way to the Elite Eight. I have them there, too, actually. I like UConn offensively. Adam Sonogo is just going to dunk on all of those idiot kids. <laughs> yep. All right. Number six, TCU. Number 11, Arizona State. TCU. I've got. I got TCU as well. I, they're mad after last year what they got screwed on against Arizona. So. Mm. Jeff, what do you have, you Jeff? Got? Oh, yeah, no, I'll, uh, is Max Duggan playing? I'll take TCU. <laughs> Maybe he could play basketball. Who knows? All right, number three, Gonzaga. Number 14, Grand Canyon. You know my answer to that. Gonzaga. I have Gonzaga as mm-hmm. well. And, Jeff, I'm guessing Zags. you do as well. Yep. And then, Of uh, course. Number seven, Northwestern. Number 10, is Boise there, State. By, by the way, is there a better college basketball player who feels like he's been there for, like, a decade, by the way, <laughs> than, that, than that Timmy kid? Yeah. It's yeah. like he's in the league seven years now, it seems like. But he's and he's goofy and he's slow and he makes every shot he takes. I don't know how it happens. <laughs> All right, number seven, Northwestern. Number ten, Boise State. Northwestern. I have Northwestern as well, and they ended up winning earlier today. Mm. And then, I didn't uh, even know that. Yeah, I had Northwestern as well. I I hate that they're in the same region with no, their number two seed UCLA though. They're playing against USC. Oh, you know what I have for UCLA. Yeah, I have UCLA as well. I hate that they're in the same region because I wanted to pick. I wanted to pick them so badly. To go further against like a Marquette or something like that, Arizona. Are we but, doing the whole bracket? We're going all the way to the championship. Yeah, we'll do, right. we'll, do, we'll do your whole bracket because I, again, yeah, uh, that way Earl can't cheat. I'm, like, not, oh, I'm, not cheating. I'm not cheating. I'm not. I'm not cheating. Jeff, you didn't see the games. I'm earlier. not seeing the games. I'm 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 in an open bracket right now. All right, so you're number one versus number eight, Alabama versus Maryland. I have Alabama winning that game. Okay, I had Alabama as well in that spot. Mm-hmm. I don't have a bracket in front of me, so I can't even tell you who I would even be choosing. But Alabama's good. I, I would have one. 
All right, so you're now picking from number five San Diego State to number thirteen Furman. I have Furman winning that game. I do so. I had them in the Sweet Sixteen initially. I had Furman initially against Charleston, but I still think for I don't think San Diego State's that good. Really bad offensively. So then you got uh, Creighton Creighton and Baylor. Baylor. I have Baylor. I have Creighton here. I I think Creighton's a much more well-rounded team this year than Baylor is. Baylor's gritty, but I think Creighton's just the talents there. With them, and then you have uh, Missouri, and then uh, now the upset with Princeton. So, I have Princeton beating Missouri. Oh, another 15 seed in the Sweet 16. That would be the third straight year. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. I was wrong on both matchups in this one. I'll roll with it. Why not, Jeff? You got a? Do you have a consensus there? Uh, Missouri is going to absolutely just demolish Princeton. Okay. All right. So then your one uh, eight is they got, that, they got they got they got they uh, got the younger Porter. They got uh, uh, the, the Porter kid. That's the, you know the Porter kid that plays in the NBA though with the Nuggets. Yeah, for the yeah, Nuggets. His younger yeah. brother. Yeah, his, his younger, younger brother, Jalen Porter. I think his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's gonna dunk on all them smart kids. Screw them. <laughs> all right. So you have Purdue and Memphis. Here. Purdue. Okay. I had Purdue and FAU, and I had Purdue winning in that one. I got FAU. Right. Oh, I like it, Jeff. I considered it. I like it. Uh, so you have Duke. FAU, 10. FAU can score the ball. Yeah, they can. And if and if anyone slows down that that ED kid, it's game of P- Purdue is all that ED kid. When he goes out of the game, everyone demolishes Purdue. Mm-hmm. So you have Duke now against Tennessee. I, I I question Duke in this game, but they've been hot over the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to take Duke, even though Tennessee could win this game. But I'm going to take Duke. They're my team. I have them going into the Sweet 16. All right, uh, Jeff, you're trusting your Tennessee. I know you like them a lot. Or it was a fun run, Duke. See you later, John Shire. <laughs> I don't like John Shire. Well. Errol wants John Shire to say see you later. Mm. All right, so you have Kentucky, and, or you have Providence at Kansas State. Hold on one second. I'm Whoa. sorry. I, I picked Princeton. I thought, uh, I thought it was Providence and Missouri. I have Missouri moving on. I'm sorry. Okay. I have gotcha. Missouri going on. I, now, I have Providence playing uh, Kansas, Kansas State. State. I have Providence moving on. Okay. So I had Kentucky, Kansas State. I had Kansas State over Kentucky. Yeah. And then, uh, Jeff, you have Providence and Kansas State as well. The legend of Jared Bynum continues. The seniors will carry this team. All right. So then you have uh, Michigan State and Marquette. Jeff, you have USC and Marquette. Marquette. I have Michigan State here. I think this is where the fundamentals will come in for Todd Bezo and knock out Marquette, who doesn't have a good defense. Uh, yeah, I got Marquette. So you got Marquette. So you don't trust USC after that. I actually think USC could upset Marquette if they end up winning that game, too. All right, so then it's Houston and Auburn. Houston. I have Houston, too, but I think it'll be closer than people think because it's in Birmingham. So Alabama or Auburn's going to have some good crowd there. I'm taking Auburn. Uh, all right. I feel like Houston could be either, like, one of either thing. They're either going to lose here or they're going to win it all. So Miami, Houston's, Indiana now for everybody. Houston's leading, Houston's leading score doesn't have a groin. So Miami, Indiana. Is Miami. Have for the next match. I have Miami, Miami here. Yep. Yeah. Jeff, who do you have? Uh, who did I have playing Indiana? Who, who played Indiana? Uh, Kent State. You were Kent State, actually. That's right. Right. That's right. In honor of the greatest slot receiver in the history of the NFL. <laughs> Give me the golden flashes once again. <laughs> All right. We found, we found Jeff Cinderella, I guess. Uh, so you have six uh, Iowa State against three Xavier. I have him against Kennesaw State. I have Xavier. Moving All right. On. So I have Iowa State over 14 seed Kennesaw. And Jeff, you have uh, I, uh, you have Iowa State Xavier as well. Give me Xavier. The All Big right. East rules. All right, and you were right about uh, Penn State. Penn State against Texas, and I was wrong on A and M. So I, you know, it's so funny. I, I have I have Penn State knocking off Texas. Nice. All right. 
I like it. Jeff, you got that same upset? Not, not even close. Texas blows them out. Okay. All right. Kansas and Arkansas for everybody. Kansas. I have Arkansas in the upset here. I think this is where Kansas steams out. We're, defending champions don't do well the next year all the time. Arkansas's Kansas experience is punch. terrific, and Arkansas stinks. Give me, give me Kansas. All right, so, uh, Jeff, you and I have VCO UConn, and Errol has St. Mary's UConn. I have UConn. I have UConn here as well. Very well-rounded team. The, the answer is Adam Sonogo. <laughs> all right, uh, everyone has TCU and Gonzaga. Zags. Zags. I got as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, Northwestern UCLA is the last one. UCLA. I was so tempted to pick Northwestern, but I got UCLA as well. I don't care about either of you. I'll do it. Northwestern. All right. I like it. <laughs> I don't care about either of you. All right. So, Jeff, you have Alabama, San Diego State, and we have Alabama and Furman. I Bama. have. I have Bama. I'm surprised you picked Bama, Jeff, but yes, I have Bama as well. All right. So uh, look, look, I, I, it's, it, you can't deny. Uh, uh, greatness, and this year Alabama has been great. You need to put your emotions aside when you're doing something like this, and, you know, uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm being fair and impartial. Most people can't do that. Credit to me. All right. <laughs> so, Errol, you have Baylor, you have Baylor, Missouri. Uh -huh. um, I had Creighton, Arizona. I was wrong on that. I, I have had, Baylor. I had Creighton winning anyway. So. I have Baylor. Um, and then, Jeff, you have Missouri and Baylor. Yeah, yeah, I had Baylor. Yeah, yeah. So, it's Baylor again. Baylor's got two NBA guards on their team. They're, they're better than people think they are. All right. So, Errol, you have now Purdue versus Duke. Purdue. Uh, Jeff, you have Purdue and Tennessee. Tennessee. Now, there's a big man fight where Tennessee's big man can keep up with that Yao Ming knockoff. So there would be a revenge game from uh, the classic that was four years ago. where Purdue And Tennessee will be doing it without Ziegler, who, who isn't winning. Uh-huh. All right. So the next one is, Errol, you have 11 seed, 11 seed Providence against uh, Marquette. Marquette. Ooh, Big East battle. So I had Kansas State and Michigan State. I got Michigan State here. And then, Jeff, you have the same thing, uh, Providence and Marquette. I love Providence. I love everything about Providence. Great school, great culture. But every year is the same story with this team. They win two games and they lose. It's got to be Marquette. All right. Uh, Errol and I have Houston and Miami in this spot. Jeff, you have Auburn. I have Houston. I was so tempted to take Miami. I just don't know if they have enough defense down the stretch. I'm going to I'm gonna take Houston. the upset. I'm okay. taking Miami. I like it. And then uh, on the other end, you have Xavier and Penn State. You had the upset here. Um, I have Xavier. You have Xavier here. So I had, I, I had Texas A&M wrong here again. And then, Jeff, you had Xavier against Texas. Texas. All right. So Errol in the Kansas region has Kansas versus Yukon in this spot. Yukon. I got you. I had I, I had Yukon over Arkansas as the Arkansas upset. I, te I was tempted to pick Arkansas, though. I was very close. They're an experienced team, but I got Yukon as well. And Jeff, you have Yukon, Kansas as well. Kansas. All right. And then the last one is uh, I think everyone. Oh, no, you have Northwestern, Jeff. You have Northwestern Gonzaga and then Errol and I have Gonzaga and UCLA. Who do you have, Speedy? I have Gonzaga. I would have picked UCLA originally, but Jalen Clark's injury, I think, finally hits them. You can't go against Timmy. Give me Timmy. <laughs> All right, so Errol's elite. You need eight. to, like, every time the Zags win, you need to play that South Park clip where he goes, Timmy! <laughs> so All right, stupid. so Errol's elite eight is Alabama and uh, Baylor. Who do you got? Uh, who do I, Alabama and Baylor? Yep, you're elite eight. Um, that's a good one. Uh, I have Bama. All right. I had Bama and Creighton, and I'm taking Alabama here. Bama. And, Jeff, you had uh, you had the same thing, Alabama-Baylor. Bama. All right. 
And then Errol's Elite 8 for the bottom region, is, or the left region, is Purdue against uh, Marquette. One and two seats. Purdue. Purdue. I had uh, Oral Roberts I was wrong on in Michigan State. Michigan State has my run. Uh, seven seed Final Four. And Jeff, you had Marquette, uh, you had Marquette and Tennessee. Marquette. All right. Then we go to Errol has Miami versus Xavier. Miami. Miami and Xavier. Nice. I like it. I had Houston beating Texas A&M, which ended up being wrong because they're about to lose. And Jeff, you had Auburn and Texas. Texas. All right. So the trash school makes it to the final four, Jeff. <laughs> Very interesting. You, you, can't, you, you, can't, you can't deny when someone is good. I don't like them, but you can't deny it. And, and would you agree that I've been very fair about this whole thing? That's fair. I have put a, put a, put a sideline differences with Alabama and that trash school, Texas. Thank God Michigan's not in this. This would be impossible. <laughs> but of course. Me. Right? And I even knocked out my own team in Providence. Uh-huh. All right, so Errol impartiality. And I, someone to someone to your uh, right there, Speedy, could probably use a little impartiality. Uh, there's no one sitting to my right, but okay. Then your left. Uh, there's Shut an up, empty you. chair to my left, but okay. So there's you, a ghost. Then across from you. He's just he's just being an idiot. All right, so Errol and I both have UConn and Gonzaga. Jeff, you have Kansas and Gonzaga. I have Gonzaga going to the Final Four here. I have Gonzaga. Kansas. All right, you got Kansas. So Errol's Final Four is Alabama, Miami. Gonzaga, Miami. And Miami. And then you have Purdue and Alabama. Alabama, yes. All right, so uh, Jeff, you had Alabama, Texas, Marquette, and Gonzaga. And then mine ended up being Michigan State, Gonzaga, uh, Houston, Alabama. So then Errol, you would now have Alabama and Purdue. Mm. Who do you have first? Well, first, I had Alabama and Michigan State, so I have Alabama here. This is good. I, I Let's go on the other side first. Miami, you know? Right. So you have Miami and Gonzaga. I have Gonzaga. All right. I have Houston over Gonzaga in that matchup. And, Jeff, you have Texas and Kansas. Big 12 battle. Kansas. All right. So then your other side, Alabama, Purdue. I have Alabama. All right. And then, uh, Jeff, your other side, Alabama and, and Marquette. Marquette. All right. So Jeff has a Marquette in Kansas final. I have a Alabama-Houston final. And Errol has a Alabama-Gonzaga final. Gonzaga final. All right. Alabama-Gonzaga final. Who do you got? Alabama winning Alabama the national Alabama wins it all. Yes. All right. Jeff, Marquette in Kansas final. It was good knowing you, Shaka Smart. Bill Self comes back from 18 heart attacks, and they win again. <laughs> Errol's favorite player gets a national championship. Congratulations to Grady Dick. <laughs> and then I have Houston over Alabama in their Houston Final Four Team of Destiny National Championship. You're such a dick, man. <laughs> yeah, I got Alabama winning. So you have Alabama over Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, the fact that Gonzaga, going into the season, Gonzaga was ranked as a, a number one, you know, a number one seed. They just haven't played well, but I, I still think they're talented. I watched them a couple of times. They have a very good coach, so. Uh, I, I think they're I, – I absolutely believe they can go to the national championship. I, I, I think Alabama all season long has been the best team. 
and I think Alabama is going to win the national championship. Well, the, the reason they're a lower seed is not as much because of the, they've gotten worse def- definitively. I know, I know some kids got drafted, but still, they actually played a harder out-of-conference schedule finally, too, which actually helped them, I think, prepare more for this. Mm. That's why they're a lower seed overall, because they lost some of those games at the beginning of the year, including to your Duke Blue Devils. Yeah. And Alabama, they played. They and beat that's why, Alabama. that's what scares me, because I, I don't want to root against my, my Duke team. I, I want Duke to, 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 to do better and, and, and win. I just don't like Shire, and they've played as well as any team in the last couple of weeks. So, uh, I mean, you can, like you can, like you're just you're just being biased now at this point because it's like you hate John Shire, but he's done the best job in the ACC. They started out really weird because they have a bunch of young freshmen that didn't really know how to play college basketball, and Shire pulled it all together. And I think they've won. Like fourteen straight or something? How many? How many wins in a row now are they? At? I think they're at eleven now, including the it, conference championships. Lot. Yeah, it, it's a lot. Yeah, they they were unranked for a while. Once they fall out of the top twenty five, they were unranked for about a month. Then they're all of a sudden surging. Where I think they ended up finishing in the in the coaches' poll number eleven. Right, and they might be single handedly responsible for body bagging the preseason number one. In North Carolina and forcing them into the JV tournament. <laughs> yep. It was the first time they said since 1974 where a preseason number one even failed to make the tournament. But, right. But this is why I'm saying Errol can have his biases and not like John Shire. But Shire's done a terrific job this Dude, year. Dude, I have them going to the Sweet 16. It's just sad you can't recognize that. that you have to still say, oh, I hate him. I, oh, I first of all, I thought they were going to – I was picking them to lose in the, against Tennessee. But I picked them to beat Tennessee. But they're losing after that. They're not beating Purdue, that's for sure. It's just it's just sad that you're just hating on him for like Stop. you're you're Stop, just hating Jeff. on him just to hate Stop, on him. Stop, Jeff. But Stop. that's what you're doing. You're hating on him. I don't like Shire, but they're my team and I root for the Duke Blue Devils. But I don't think they're beating Purdue, okay? I don't. Oh, they'll beat Purdue. Filipowski will shut down that broken down we'll Yaoming. We'll see if that happens. Broken down Yaoming. <laughs> if it happens. Wow, you're very we'll, critical we'll, we'll of Zach Eady, Jeff. We'll see. Dude, he can't move. He's just seven feet in a world where everyone else is six nine. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's all he is. No, he I know he's not overly level. athletically gifted, but he's, he's super I think, slow. I think he's craftier though than a lot of the other past big men they've had, though. Ah, he's just got that dumb little hook in the lane, and that's it. And when he faces a, a, a an actual real big man, which Tennessee has, they got that Croatian kid. I know. Like no, he's very good too. Yes. Yeah, he's good and he's quick. He's going to be so much. He's the same size and he's so much faster than Zach Eady. It's going to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, they don't have a lot of scoring consistency besides Edie, and that's what worries me most with Purdue. And they always have that weird loss. Look at the last two years. They're all weird losses. North Texas in 2021, <laughs> and last year losing to St. Peter's. 15 But who does, who does Purdue have besides Edie? And once they slow him down, uh, the rest of that team isn't very good. And keep in mind, by the way, Tennessee is top 10 ranked nationally defensively. Mm. I know. They're number three in the league, in the, in the yeah. nation, yeah. It's crazy how good they are defensively. So now you got a bunch of really good defensive kids. You got a guy that can actually match up in size with that big dude, right? And it, game set match, dude. Tennessee, mm. all day long. See you later, Zach Eady. <laughs> revenge from uh, 2019, that classic overtime game, which I, I want to bet on against Matty Caps. I remember that. He loved that Tennessee well, team that year. I think he picked him to win it all, if I remember correctly. He it's Matty Caps. You want to win a bet. I mean that that's so ridiculous. That's it's Matt against Matt Caps. That doesn't count. You want to win a bet against him? All you do is just pick the opposite of him. You're a winner. <laughs> yeah, it's just like your college football picks. I remember that. 
Oh, crush them. Every crush them. <laughs> I, know, I know you did. Jeff, thank you for calling, bud. There he is. He's pretty quick. Uh, great show. Thank you to Washington Commanders running back Jonathan Williams. He was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, uh, former Bills and Cardinals offensive tackle John Fina. He was fantastic as well. Fantastic show. Thank you to all the fans that tune in and listen to us every single week. We'll be back next week on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Check us out on the Weekend Crunch. Uh, what time this week? Looks like we're normal time. The Islanders play late. All right. So we'll, we'll be on at 7, 7 o'clock, right? Yep. 7 o'clock on Saturday night on 103.9 FM. If you are not living here on Long Island, you can check us out on iHeartRadio on the LI News Radio Network. Ah, yeah, so uh, great show next week. Uh, Great shows next week. What do we have next week? Uh, Nothing confirmed yet, but maybe John Daigle. He was interested in coming on this week, but he got too busy with free agency. But we might have him on next week. That's the only one I know for sure. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Well, everybody, enjoy March Madness on the weekend. Probably the best weekend when it comes to college basketball. So stay tuned. Uh, Maybe Aaron Rodgers signs with or, or gets traded to the New York Jets sometime over the weekend. We'll see if the Jets you know, obviously give in and give them their first round draft pick, which will never happen, but uh, we'll see what happens and, and maybe some more signings of free agency for the uh, NFL and uh, uh, the world baseball classic as team USA moves on to the uh, semis. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll see what happens. So there you go. Uh, that's it, everybody. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. Good night. It is the worldwide sports radio network. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. As a volunteer, you deliver a hot, nutritious meal and a friendly hello to someone just like your mother, grandfather, or next-door neighbor. These seniors are inspiring people.